Apple Podcasts, Spotify, MitchUnfiltered.com. I happen to like I happen to like Podcast Addict. You probably never heard of that one before because you're an Apple user. You would need Podcast Addict. This is for my my Android family out there. Oh, you're still down that dead end road. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm on my way. Ah. I'm slowly but surely on my way. But for now, I'm still an Android user. And I have decided, thanks to the problems of, of Google Podcasts, I have decided that uh, Podcast Addict, a free download of that app, is really good for your favorite podcast, including Mitch Unfiltered. So you can listen, you can subscribe, you can rate us on Apple, and uh, and there you go. Episode number 61 is about to begin. How do you feel? As a Microsoft employee, I feel kind of weird saying this, but really the iPhone has just simplified my life. I can't <laughs> believe I waited that long to not just move over. Well, I'll give you an example of it's how the crazy. iPhone has uh, it, it, it impacted me over the last weekend. All right. Yeah, we had to send a form out to our accountants, and I asked I asked my wife, I said, can you, I still haven't figured out the laser, well, the uh, what do you call it, the scanning machine in our house. You know how you scan an item? Yes. Do people still scan items? No. I don't know. They don't? Well, they may, but I mean, no, that seems really... He asked me to scan it in and send it via email, so I asked because All I'm right. not really great at it. I got to go to either... I got to go either Max or Brett or my wife. So I asked her to, would you mind scanning these items and sending it off to the accountant? Yeah. And she didn't even use the scanner in our house. She used her Apple iPhone. Did she just take a picture? No. Just scanned She's it? got a scanning app so on the Apple. Uh, you didn't even know about this. You just made this my was case not for a me, though. I, I could have I taken a picture <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. on my Android. I mean, it does yeah. take pictures. Androids do oh, take that's pictures. Nice. That's but nice. I guess that wasn't good enough for him. That wasn't official because he had to he had to uh, submit it to the IRS. So he needed more of a scanner. And she just simply had an a- app on her phone, and bam, bam, she never even used the scanner on her. I don't even know why we have We have a copy machine, a scanner, a fax. It's all in one. It's yeah. a great unit. We don't use it anymore. You're making the case for me. They're great. You go to the airport, <laughs> boop, everything works. Just Everything loads, everything works. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting ready for episode 61. It's going to be a joyous episode 61 because everything happened, at least at least for Washington Husky fans and Seattle Seahawks fans, it was a good week. It wasn't a good week for us Syracuse Orange. It wasn't a good week for the Washington State Cougars. It wasn't a good week for the LA Rams. It wasn't a good week... Well, maybe it was a good week for the Miami Dolphins. I'm not sure whether it was a good week or not From for the what Miami I saw, Dolphins. They were in it. They were in it, right? Wasn't and they lost, which is that conversion? a good thing? Or? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. They're showing heart, but do you need them to show heart or you want them just to tank? I like them to show heart and then lose. Okay, gotcha. All right. Heart, heart, well, heart. Good weekend for you then. Heart to heart. <laughs> yeah. And when they met, it was murder. murder. Right. Heart to heart and then and then lose. But before we begin episode number 61, which will be fun... And exciting, and I've got four great interviews. I always say this. I've got four great interviews. I guess I'm like the boy who cried wolf. Maybe the interviews are not that. Every week I say I have four yeah. great. I really mean it this time. What the- we have four <laughs> oh, great time. interviews. But before we even be- begin to even think about starting episode 61, you had your how many how many in a, in a row to Burbank? You were in Burbank for like the fourth or fifth weekend in a row. Yeah, fourth in a row. Yeah, fourth. But this was a special. A special trip because you had a Friday. You you didn't text me. You didn't say hey. You didn't show me a picture. You didn't. Wow. Yeah, well, do, you, do you really care? Yeah, I don't Friday think night you were yeah. going to the big show. Tell everybody what you did on Friday. I night. did go to real time with Bill Maher. It was really fun because you know the executive producer. You know Bill himself. You write jokes for That's him. What's right. this? There's a connection between you and that show. Yeah, Bill and I used to be roommates. We lived in Green Lake together, so <laughs> that's how I know him. But no, a friend of mine's been with Bill for uh, 17 years. He's like a producer. 
He so, is. Yeah, he's, he's like he's like a producer. Well, I, I don't know exactly what he does. I guess he's just a producer. On the is credits, this the first time it says producer that he's invited you? Yeah, I mean, I've never asked either, so I don't. It's not. Yeah, so it's the first time I've ever been. How how much of a buddy is this guy? I mean, is this uh, you go down to Burbank every week? Do you see him each week? Do you no. See him? Is he a real buddy or is he just kind of an acquaintance? Well, he's a year older than me in high. We went to high school together, and okay. we have a lot of mutual friends, but we weren't hanging out every weekend. So, what together. was the occasion that he said or that he thought of you this week? of Of all the years, yeah. of all the times you're in Burbank, it was this week. It was at the guest because yes. he knows that you idolize yeah. the guest that was on the show. That I was don't know if on I the show. Idolize him? I mean, you we kind of do. We, well, I think most radio people not as look much up as you idolize him. me. That's true. <laughs> when you're a guest on Real Time, I'll go for sure. That'll be great. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's it. I, I think he sort of forgot I was down there every week. Yeah. And so he just hit me up like a week ago and said, hey, do you want to come down to the show? Because? Because the guest is Howard Stern. Howard Stern. Did you watch it? I did not. He was good. I is mean, it, it's not a live show. It's recorded. Oh, no, 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 no. It's called Real Time with Bill Maher, and it's live. Even live. on the West Coast? It's or is it live on the East live Coast? On the and East Coast, it's kind yeah. of three hours delayed. Okay, so you went to the rec- did you st- stay back? Did you sit in the audience? Was no, there, was there no. an audience? I don't sit with the common unwashed folk. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, did you meet Howard? No, he bailed. I mean, right at seven fifteen, he did his thirteen minutes and was gone. So yeah. no, and I, it's I don't really have it in me. Like, can I go meet it? You know, I just yeah. I didn't want to over. So you were backstage? Yeah, I was in the control room, like where they were doing the, the nice. lighting, and I could hear him call the show, which is. More interesting for me now because I'm part of a show that as well. So it's nice to see how a well-oiled machine does it. Yeah. Because they're live, Why, are man. Are we not a well-oiled machine? No, I'm part of a show for the Forza Racing Championship. Oh, we have I see. cameras and oh, directors yeah, and the whole thing. Yeah, I know thing. all about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you enjoy the show last Saturday of the I, Forza <laughs> Racing Championship? Did you think that Lazarus I was t- going to t- win? I'll tell you what. Yes. I have seen as many shows of the Forza <laughs> Racing Championships as tacos that you've eaten at <laughs> okay. Taco Time on Tuesdays, which again, we get... Two more this Tuesday. Two free tacos, thanks to Russell Wilson and Chris Carson, but we'll get there. That is right. true. So, uh, real time, yep. Bill Maher, how was the experience? It was great. I actually, I the thing you would have loved the most was it, it's filmed at the CBS lot. Uh-huh. So, I was we got, I got in a golf cart with my buddy. He came out nice. and picked me up. Nice. He's like, what are you doing standing in line with these guys? This is the We're audience. Coming, folks. Yeah, come with me. <laughs> yeah. We get in a golf cart. We cruise around. And one of the first things I see when I get off the golf cart in the and just sitting there in the back is the wheel from Price is Right, the big the big oh wheel. Oh my god. <laughs> I bet you it's a lot less impressive in person than it is on on TV. It's probably very flimsy it's in like person. It's like cardboard that's painted, you know. Well, it, how they they really str- have you noticed how they struggle yeah, yeah, yeah. to get it to go around the full loop if it's just cardboard? What kind of people are these people that can't get it to go around in one? <laughs> well, in it must be loop. heavy because it is kind of big. Yeah, I took a picture of it. I can show you. I'll, you did. I'll, yeah, post it. All right, I will. Yeah, I th- eh. you and the you and the big wheel. Yeah, the funny part was it's behind like this glass case. Of course it is. Well, but he's, he, <laughs> my friend who's been there a while said it didn't used to be, and people could not control themselves. <laughs> Because <laughs> they just wanted to spin Everybody. it. Everybody take a whiz on it. I mean, they, they yeah, they wanted to spin it, and yeah. it's like enough for like even the employees. That's because it's backstage. Yeah. So people who worked at CBS could not control doot, themselves. Doot, yeah, exactly. Doot, doot, Everyone. So doot, now they have to lock up doot, the wheel. <laughs> doot, doot. Yep. And then I saw where they filmed like Bold and the Beautiful and Young and the Restless. Oh, really? And all that all right. stuff. That's, yeah. Yeah. There's a picture of Carol Burnett up because she used to oh, film her show the there. CBS television audience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. This, this, yeah. So that was pretty cool. So it was just, I don't know. I think that's the Carol Burnett show. I just. Maybe Steve Dion can, can edit in the, the Carol Burnett music in the, in the show. I used to love that show as a kid. So I All right. Just, so the Bill yeah. Maher experience. It was really cool. I got to sit, sit by the guy who does the lighting. Did you meet Bill? 
No, I didn't. Well, no. See, too big to, to shake your hand. He was flying out to go do stand-up that night. I see. Which is impressive. How did Howard do? Did he I, impress I thought he you? Was, he was great. And I had a friend he's text me. He's always great, right? He, well, yeah. I mean, he's, he's Howard Stern for a reason. He's got a little bit of talent. But he was really, he was so energetic, and he kept trying to take over and interview Bill and ask him awkward questions. You should watch the show. It's actually I will. a pretty I, good show. I, well, I, I've seen it. I've seen, like, little pieces my wife will watch it on occasion. We'll have it on. I've seen little bits and pieces, but I've never actually sat down and watched a real time. But I would watch Howard Stern, so maybe I'll yeah. search it out. Do I just go to On Demand, my com- my Comcast On Demand? How do I do that? Do are I you, watch it on my phone? What are do you I do? Comcast? Yeah, I've got a, I got a bunch of stuff going on here. <laughs> bunch of stuff going on. Holy crap, that sounded cryptic. Hey, what, what, what do you need, kid? I got a little Comcast, a little dish. Uh, I got, yeah, I got, I got, what, you, I got <laughs> what you need. All right. I got, I got, I got, I got, you need a pen? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so you just go on demand. You can, it's the first 13 minutes of the show. And the okay. reason I know it's 13 is because he was supposed to go 10. So you enjoy- <laughs> they kept Well, going, he always goes long. Get out, get out. Well, yeah, Bill Maher and Howard Stern together, like well, a couple yeah, of alphas, you know. Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about this, I think, even on the podcast before. There are certain things that I've taken from Howard that everybody's taken from Howard. and You, you steal from everybody. That's Anybody right. who's had any kind of shred of success in this business, you, 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 you're stupid not to listen, watch. And, to, and what I always learned from him, which was much to the chagrin of the people at KJR, the other hosts, the program directors, it was a constant binge and gripe, was you just keep going. When you feel like you're going and you're doing, you're doing well and you're on a little bit of a roll, you don't stop. Right. You don't stop for commercial. You just keep right. going. You right. go until you decided, you, like the Forrest Gump run, until you decide you want to stop. And you I deal was, with it later. I right? was constantly I mean, yeah. late to breaks because of Howard. It was all Howard's fault. That's right. <laughs> constantly late to breaks. Constantly late to the next show. Yeah. Like where I come from, where I, I always always make this argument to the to the program director and everybody at KJR. I was like, I'm the morning show host. You've got me. You've paid me to be the morning show host. You shouldn't require me to stop at 9.54. That's right. Let me go. If I have something that goes overtime. Now, of course, whoever the midday guy was at the time and they rotated, they were always pissed off because right. they don't want to start at, at 10.07 or 10.08 or 10.09. But I always thought my role as the morning show host was to get the day started going. And if I'm going good and I'm running late, then so be it. I'm running, I'm running late. And yeah. that's, that, was from, that was from Howard Stern. He never stopped. For anybody, no, right? his show was six to ten a.m., but it would always go to eleven. Always <laughs> eleven. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine think- if I had gone to eleven, I wasn't going to eleven. I was going yeah. to ten oh six or ten oh eight, <laughs> and I was in constant trouble. Yeah, constant trouble. So I'm sure you guys did the same thing, right? Oh yeah. We, I mean, we, lucky for us, we had a music show afterwards. We didn't have another host, you know, because hosts can sometimes have egos. Yeah. Even though there was somebody there, it was just a music show, so they well, were. Our cool station was always host, host, right. host, host. That's host, right. right. A little announcement before we start, Deb. Oh, I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah, it was really cool. I was. So will you go back? Way. Will you go do it again? Or now you've done it, you've checked it off the list, you no. don't need to go back? I definitely want to go back. Oh, you do? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Oh, it's, I, I just like that. I love walking around the lot and walking around behind the scenes. And I'll put that uh, picture of the wheel up if anyone cares. Quick announcement before we begin episode 61 with Hot Shot Scott. It's a, it's a victorious, it's a at least a Northwest victorious, a, I shouldn't even say Northwest, a Seattle area victorious <laughs> yeah, right. uh, weekend for episode 61. Qu- quick announcement. I told you, I've, t- I've talked about it a little bit before on the patron show. We do have that no- November the 11th Monday Night Football viewing party. Looks bigger than ever, right? Uh, Monday Night Football, November the 11th, Seahawks and 49ers. Brand new Daniels downtown. We're closing the bar area, and we're just going to have a private party, a private function. We're going to get loud and rowdy. We're going to wear our stuff. Uh, the problem is we have limited spots, and the patrons have pretty much at least committed to it. Now, you never know until they actually make the reservation. But the patrons have pretty much bought the whole thing out. So I have wow. very few, if at, if any, spots 
left for November the 11th at uh, Daniel's Broiler downtown. I might have, depending upon cancellations, I might have literally up to 10. Okay. That would be probably the most that I'll have for the for the general listening audience. If there's anybody out there that's listening that would like to go, I'm not going to guarantee you a spot. It is 75 bucks, by the way, plus gratuity and tax. Uh, heavy apps, drinks included, two drinks, and the, all, the, the whole kit and caboodle. But it is $75 per person. If there's anybody that wants to go that's not a patron that's listening to this right now, send me an email to Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com and just say, hey, my name is so-and-so. I, I'd like two spots. I'd like three. Me and my wife, me and my buddies, four, five, six. Yeah. Just send me an email and... Just as soon as I know how many people kind of bail and don't follow through, I'll hand them out to the people that are listening right now. Great. All right? Sounds so, like a lot of fun. Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. If you'd like to be with us at the brand new downtown Daniels Broiler on November the 11th, Monday night football. Did it get any bigger oh. on, on this past Sunday? Did it get any bitter, bigger with the 49ers win against the Rams and the Seahawks win against the Browns? So did. But by the way, I brought up what if a Niner fan wants to go and I saw saw one reach out to you and say, I'm an, I told you, I knew that one would want to go. Why? <laughs> I don't know. We don't want He said his wife is a Seahawks <laughs> fan right. and he's a Niners fan. I know. And he was like pissed off that I, would, I wouldn't have is him. Is that right? It seemed like it is. You saw the tweet. Yeah. He seemed a little annoyed, a little yeah. put off, like like weak sauce or something. He said weak sauce. Oh. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know he why he'd want to. I'd want to be there anyway. Oh, we don't want you there. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, I like you that you're a, that you're a member of the audience, but right. I don't know. This I is knew not, that was going to happen. This I is not it. a place for you. <laughs> anyway, November the 11th, Mitch unfiltered a Monday night viewing party for the Seahawks and the Niners in oh. San Francisco, Santa Clara. Uh, we are just about at capacity, but if you'd like to join us, send me an email to Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. All right. Guests, I always tell you we got four good guests. Two of them, you know, you can. Let's see if you can guess two of the two, the names of two guests on episode sixty-one. Brady Henderson from Cleveland to talk about the Seahawks win over the Browns and to preview the upcoming Ravens game, the return of Earl Thomas. Yes, Richard J. Neuheisel. Richard is it J. Neuheisel? No that sounds good to me. <laughs> okay. Rick Neuheisel, CBS Sports. The Huskies' big second half. The Cougars are still losing. Georgia got oh. upset. The Ricks picks. We got a bunch of big games coming up this weekend, and the and the look now it's starting to get a feel for yep. the national championship final four picture. We'll talk to him about that. Would you like to try to guess who the other two are? <laughs> oh man, Barry Manilow. You, you're right. He's, oh, he's wow. coming on. No. <laughs> But he'll be on Bill Maher's show. Oh, good. I'm going to go to that one, too. Uh, (laughs) There's the two other guests that we have on episode 61. One guy's name is Todd Dewey. He's from the Las Vegas Journal Review. He has been chronicling what I think is a pretty humorous story. Do you know the story? Have you read anything about this guy, Mattress Mac in Houston? No. I'm I'm glad. I'm glad you gave me that look. That look was like... I was like... You were paralyzed. I feel like I know everything on Twitter and all that. I don't know this story. So Mattress Mac is a guy, an older guy, who owns mattress stores in Houston. Okay, I would hope so. Do you? So does that ring a bell to no. you? Okay. He, all year, has been selling these mattresses and offering a full refund if the Houston Astros win the World Series. Okay. Sound vaguely familiar? I feel like was there was a story last year, too, maybe? Him. Gotcha. He's okay. done it two or three years in a yeah, row. Yeah, yeah. Now I know Well, he's got about. a $15 million liability on his hands 
if the Houston Astros win the World Series. He's got a refund over $15 million worth of mattress purchases if his favorite Houston Astros. So what is he doing to, to protect himself? I have no idea. He's making wagers on oh. the Houston Astros <laughs> to win the World Series. Yeah, a couple million smart. here, a couple million there. Yeah. And Todd Dewey from Las Vegas is going to tell us the exact story about how this guy got going. He's getting a lot of publicity, this guy, and uh, and he's kind of rooting for the Astros. But if the Astros win, he owes fifty. He owes the people that bought mattresses fifteen million dollars. I suppose I can listen to the interview, but do, does he you want? Will. You will. In the, you does will. he want people to know that he's hedging his bet, or was that? Yeah. Or was that not supposed to get out? No, he wants people to know because it leads to more and more people are still buying mattresses. You still can like you if you need a mattress. Oh, sure, who doesn't? You should buy. <laughs> you should buy it in Houston. <laughs> buy it in Houston it's... because the Astros are like two and a half to one to win the World Series. It's probably going to be free. Well, not probably, but there's a very good chance that anybody who needs a mattress is buying a mattress tomorrow because there's a two and a half to one shot that I'm going to get my money. I'm going to get a brand new mattress, my money back. So he's looking for places to put a million bucks down here, two months. So I think he's got like, well, you listen to the, I don't want to give too much of the interview away. It's yeah, I'm funny. curious to hear that. Pretty funny. And then there's the story that I think is the biggest story of the week in sports and in the world, the world of sports that you may or may not know that our listeners may not know. And I wanted to do a segment on, I think it's very important. Have you heard about the world cup qualifying match in iran on thursday and world cup is soccer world cup is soccer okay gotcha. i didn't even know that so there's no no flies on you for, for not knowing all that. right i have not heard okay thursday there was a an early 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 qualifying for like the 2022 world cup i know nothing about this except it's a story behind it there was a the game was 14 nothing iran iran faced cambodia okay and beat them 14 nothing the story is, and this is true, it's 2019, you're not even going to believe what I'm about to tell you. Okay. Women were allowed to go to the game for the first time since 1981. I'm going to repeat that. Women were allowed to buy tickets and go to a soccer game, a football match yes. for the, in, in Iran for the first time since 19. 19- for 40 years, they have not been allowed to go to a game. It's unbelievable. Can you believe that that's in the world that we live in? No, I can't. It's so 2019. It was an historic, kind of an historic scene in Tehran yeah. for the 14 nothing. They were finally they finally gave in to FIFA. You know what FIFA is? Sure, the governing yeah. body. They put a little pressure on them. Where have they been for 40 years? Right. FIFA and, and a lot. And and the story is many layers deep. It's incredibly interesting. It's incredibly sad. It's incredibly shameful. There's the story, you probably read about it a few weeks ago, of the woman who tried to sneak her way in. She got caught, and she lit herself on fire and killed herself. They call her Blue Girl. She killed herself over protest to not be able to go to a soccer game. And that story has resonated. And so slowly, maybe not surely, but slowly, uh, women are being accepted in 2019 to a soccer. They have not been able to go to a sports event, and they literally put them in sections and built a fence around them in in the stadium. I'm going to say that again. They put them in sections and built a fence around them in the stadium. It, 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 crazy. Craziness. That, that, yeah. that, that's just, and so we, we, we're doing a segment on that. <sighs> It's of all the things people get outraged about, I'm shocked they don't get outraged by more of that like human rights type stuff, right? <sighs> of all the things people get outraged about on Twitter, why is that not at the front and center of I don't know? 
so what you're saying is, is while we're discussing pass interference, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> there may be something a little bit more important in the world of sports than whether Pete Carroll should have had Chris Carson on the field for the two-point conversion versus yeah. C.J. Procise, which we'll get to. Obama. I know I'm going to go off on that, and I'm going to sound like it's the most <laughs> important thing in the world, but I got a feeling that this was a little more important what right. happened in this stadium in Iran. Obama wears a tan suit. Trump makes a typo, and everyone's outraged, outraged. All right. Hot Shot Episode 61 is presented by Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Remember, evervestment.com, E-V-E-R-V-E-S-T-M-E-N-T.com to access Evergreen's new program that caters to those of us that don't have the wealth that many of Evergreen's clients have, Evergreen Golf Call. Zeke's Pizza with 17 locations, the newest of which... Woodenville. There's no better place to enjoy great Northwest pizza, a fabulous selection of craft beer, all while watching some exciting sports. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler. You may have heard me mention our Monday night football viewing party on November the 11th at the brand new downtown location. The Seahawks and the 49ers almost sold out already. The patrons have snatched up most of the spots. Nothing like Daniel's Broiler and special occasions. World-class steak houses and the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage Jordan Flowers Guild Mortgage Group is waiting for your call to save you money every month with three of the top one percent brokers in the United States in the Kirkland office alone phone number of the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage 425-250-3150 you can save every single month episode number 61 Starts now. Unfiltered. I still think that Russell Wilson has gone from a very good top eight or ten quarterback in the NFL to a legitimate, if not MVP leader, than MVP contender. I know that Patrick Mahomes gets all the play and he's the MVP and he's doing things that have never been done before. Russell Wilson is right in the middle of the MVP discussion. Unfiltered. Whatever money they're going to lose from Chinese revenue, I got a way to recoup that and then some very simple. It's called an expansion fee in Seattle. A new NBA team in Seattle, that's a billion dollars. Green and gold, and it will become Asia's favorite NBA team. We're the gateway to Asia, right? That's what everybody tells me. All right, there you go. You want you want to get back all the money you're going to lose in whatever protests that China does? How about an NBA team in Seattle? Mitch is unfiltered. All right, four good interviews, episode number 61, a victorious Seahawks weekend, a Victoria, victorious Huskies weekend. I don't know, episode 61, this is slim pickings. Josh Beckett, do you do you even remember Josh Beckett, the pitcher? pitcher? Yeah. yeah, he wore 61. Uh, he's like the best. If you do a little search through the, the internet, the, w, the World Wide mm. Web, mm-hmm. Uh, the, the best you're going to find is Josh Beckett, and he's That's not even best. a hall, he's not even a Hall of Fame pitcher. So I'm going to go with a local guy, and I'll tell you who it is in our last segment. I'm not going to tell you who it is now. Not Blair Bush again. No, did he wear Blair 61? Bush never wore six, okay, Not even right. on a practice yeah, jersey. Right. He did not wear 61. <laughs> but I'm just going to give it because I know the guy, and he's a nice guy, and okay. we like him, and he represented a pretty good era of Seahawks football. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go local on you for 61, even though he probably didn't have as good a career as Josh Beckett. But who cares? Yeah, who cares? Who cares? I'm with you. Uh, we can go. We can go past the dogs in Oregon this weekend. 
The dogs in Oregon, October the 19th. We've been waiting for yeah. this. It after- bums me out that the, they're not uh, undefeated, the Huskies. I mean, this would have been game undefeated. day. This would have been, right. I mean, they're lucky that they don't have three losses well, <laughs> after they, Saturday night. Did could- you watch Saturday night? I watched. I got off a plane. I saw they were down by three at half or four. Was it yeah, three? They were down, I think, 17 13 at the half. Okay. And I was and like, they had Ooh. not. They were like, oh, for their last 10 with halftime deficits. They like to put that little graphic on the screen, yeah. which annoys me a little bit. And I'm not even a Huskies fan. You know, the Huskies cannot rebound from a deficit at halftime. They have not, under Chris Peterson, right. they can't make the adjustments. Like the dumbest and thing then ever. They, and then they exploded for like <laughs> right. 35, 40 points. Mm-hmm. And then the next time, like this weekend when they're behind to Oregon, they'll say, they're only one of their last 10 when they're behind <laughs> right. at halftime. So it was a terrible first half Okay, offensively. Just a horrendous first against a terrible defensive team. It was kind of like the Stanford thing all over again, and they woke up at halftime. Jacob Eason got going. They started throwing the ball all over the place. They started running the ball. Defense played a little bit, uh, you know, it was pretty good. And they went ahead and and cruised in the second half to a victory over Arizona, setting up the big one, Oregon and Washington, an Oregon team that has not lost except for the Auburn game. They've not lost in the conference. So yeah. they're running away with the North. This is a game Washington will have to win on Saturday. They are underdogs in their own stadium. Oregon, by the way, is coming in having here here are the last see if I can find it here are the last five games that Oregon has played their points allowed in the last five games since the Auburn game they've played five games since losing to Auburn they've allowed six three six seven and three and this is 2019 I'll say that six, three, wow. six, seven, and three in their last five games. I mean, at the very least, somebody scores garbage time points on the backups, right? Not them. Not this year, apparently. No, that's and, crazy. And that's the defense that's coming into face Yeesh. a very shaky, for whatever reason, offensive yeah. line scheme, wide receivers drops, getting open. A Washington team. We can uh, we can graduate past that for a second and get to what we saw on Sunday, which was just another 32 to 28 victory for your Seahawks. They are five and one. Are you feeling good about your Hawks now? Before the season, we talked about missing Jaron Reed. And I think I said, I'd be happy with three and three, three and three would have made me happy. We'd still in it. You know? So you're okay with five and one, five and one. I'm delighted with all the flaws, with all the warts, especially defensively to get to five and one. And now your buddy, you got this in your mind that Jaron Reed's return with his 10 and a half sacks from a year ago, that he's going to change, revolutionize the Seahawks defense. No, I just, because we've kind of been counting down to Jaron Reed's return. Well, because when he comes back, that's as good as we'll be. Meaning we're full. We're up. That's it. What you see with Jaron Reed is as good as we're going to be. Right. No one else is coming in to help. So that'll be the true test. And I want to see that. Well, you're going to see it. You're going to see it on uh, on Sunday against Baltimore. I think I, I've got what I've got is one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. I got about six or seven in the good and six or seven in the bad. And I'm always of the feeling that if they win, which they won on Sunday, we should start with the good, right? Okay. Would you like my my two cents worth in terms of the with the good on Sunday in the thirty-two twenty-eight? Give it to me. Some of them can go. We can go real fast, like yeah. two tacos. At Taco Time <laughs> this Tuesday, thanks to Russell Wilson darting up the middle in the first on the so very great. first. By the way, slow starting team finally. Actually, the last couple of games, I think, great drive, great opening drive. Even after Cleveland had scored to take a seven nothing lead, of course there was the shank extra point. But yep. Russell Wilson goes back to pass, runs it in. Taco number one at Taco Time. Order ahead on Tuesday, right? There you go. So we knew we were getting one free taco, and then later in the game, the the, the touchdown that 
took him over the top yep. was the handoff to Chris Carson. Two tacos. I'll ask you again. What are the chances that we can get Hotshot Scott to a participating, not a participating, any local taco time location for your two free tacos this Tuesday? Well, I have to tell you that when I was in L.A., I went to Tito's Tacos. I guess it's this landmark place, yeah. and I had a taco, and it yeah. was awesome. It was so good. It's but always, it wasn't free. It wasn't free, yes. They so, taste better when they're free. I think I'm going to make it this Tuesday. Is that right? Tuesday? Tuesdays. <laughs> Tuesdays. <laughs> All right, I'm going to try. Ahead. I'm going to try. Tuesdays, use the Taco Time app. And then next Sunday, you can tell me about the Forza Racing Championship and you give me a quick critique of the four hours and see how you liked it. Is that what this has come down to? That I have to trade you? <laughs> no, no. The you Forza just said that World Champion. I have to trade you the Forza <laughs> World Championships to get you to go have a Some... free two tacos, thanks to Carson and Wilson. Is this that is what not it the is? World Championships All right. yet? All right. All right. That's number one. Uh, number two. And probably number one on the list. I know it's going to sound like I, the next two are going to, I'm going to sound like a broken record. Number three and number 32. Let's start with number three. 23 out of 33, 295 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, has not thrown an interception this season. He's now, I think, 14 and zero. Not even a 14. deflection. Not even a def- not even something that wasn't his wasn't fault. Wasn't his fault, yeah. Right. Uh, he had a 117 passer rating, which means with a great day that he had on Sunday against Cleveland, his rating actually came down. Uh, he, he ran it in for a touchdown. He made all the right decisions. Just another, I wouldn't call it a spectacular special performance, but a very, very, very good, excellent performance by number three and leading his team down the field for the 30-2-28 victory. I say good thing has to be Russell Wilson, the MVP of the NFL. If the voting were today, if the voting were today, which it's not and it's stupid to even talk about, uh, he would be the MVP of the league. 34th quarter game winning drives. 34th quarter game winning drives. 2012. That is impressive. And for you to say it wasn't spectacular, yeah, maybe not on paper. They were down, and he drove them down the field for a touchdown. To me, that's spectacular. Uh, well, I, I, maybe I should call it spectacular. Yeah, I mean, I you have to, he right? He keeps kind of pushing what spectacular is. Yeah. And I'm just telling you, it was it was terrific. It was terrific. You know, he almost threw the game-winning touchdown, right? I mean, Lockett was like a, what a half a yard away. Yeah, right. So I mean, he could have easily oh, thrown well, the game-winning touchdown. I don't, touchdown. I don't, I don't downgrade him for that. Okay. I mean, I just, I, I just think he was, he was excellent. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. He I know, was, I he know. Was, what he else was do excellent. We say? <laughs> uh, he he got some pressure, but I want to go there next. I, I want to go. I'll go in order. Uh, Thirty-two. I, I'm going to say it again. You're tired of hearing it, Chris Carson. I think he's one. I, I was going to call him. A Pro Bowl level running back, I think we're at all pro. There's a difference yeah. between all pro and Big pro bowl. Yeah. I believe Chris Carson right now is playing football. Maybe the McCaffrey guy in, in Carolina, they say that he's kind of having an MVP start. Yeah. I, I can't believe you can find two or three other running backs in the NFL all around, catching the ball out of the backfield, making something out of nothing, making people miss, running through guys, running through players. I think number 32, I know I say it every week on this on this podcast, is playing exceptional football, and he was great again on Sunday. He had 124 yards. He had four other catches. He had the game-winning score. Could have scored there at the end for a third taco. I wasn't, I wasn't that mad. When they were a um, foot and a half away from the goal line, you're like, oh, well, we got Chris Carson. Were you nervous? Or did you think no. they're going to hand it to Chris Carson and this is going to be well, an easy I, touchdown? I, I don't want to give away my bad because my bad is coming up. Okay. But I'll just say that I was just – the only thing I was nervous about, you asked me if I was nervous, 
I was a little nervous that he wouldn't be on the field. Oh, gotcha. I knew that if he were on the field and given the ball that he'd come through. But based on a couple of other incidents in the earlier couple of hours, I'm just going to wink, wink, say that I was a little nervous that maybe the, a different personnel group would be on the field and he wouldn't be on the field. So all right, all was, right. But it was first and goal and he went in and he had another great day, all right? Offensive line. I want to I give a kudos to the offensive line. We know that they were without DJ Fluger and they were without Dwayne Brown. Yep. Dwayne Brown's their best offensive lineman, no question. Their left tackle. Yep. And Fluger, I know there's mixed opinions on him, has been a really solid addition to that offensive line the last two years. They were without both of them. They had Jermaine Effetti over there trying to keep Miles Garrett from killing Russell Wilson. Yeah. And when you consider they had 170 yards rushing, yeah, he got sacked three times and had a couple more hits. But for the most part, they win 32-28. They run the ball effectively. They keep Wilson semi-clean with backup guys. Jones is in there, and different guys are in there. And don't forget, you lost your starting tight end, who also blocks a lot. You lost your so, starting tight end yeah. in the midst of the game. I, I gotta, I gotta throw a bouquet. I like it to the I, offense. I line. had that down here, minus two linemen in your starting tight end, and 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 they did a nice job, yep. and they had 170 yards rushing, so they even did a good job in the in the ground game. Uh, another bouquet that I've already talked about: fast start. When the Seahawks come out offensively and move the ball down their first offensive possession and score a touchdown, I notice because they are terrible traditionally <laughs> yeah. on their first on their first possession. I said on Twitter, we're throwing we should... a bouquet their way, giving them a little sticker for their helmets for their fast start. Go ahead. We should bet the first quarter line against the Seahawks every single game. You can bet the first quarter line. Of course you can. Right. Okay. Ask Mattress Mac. Forgot who I'm talking to here. Yeah. I, mean, I, I would love to see what it is and how many times well, that they didn't. You would have got burnt. Well. They do give up. Well, not they don't always defensively. They're not always bad at the beginning. They're just bad. They just sluggish yeah, to start true, offensively. Guess, yeah. Sometimes their defense keeps them into the game. All right, some other uh, some other stickers for the for the helmet. I'm going to hesitate. I'm going to very very lightly tread on this one. I'm going to give a sticker for the four turnovers that the defense came up with, even though they don't deserve a sticker for the four turnovers. Three of the four turnovers were just unforced Browns errors, deflections, guys running into each other. I, I really hesitate giving the Seahawks credit, defensive credit, for anything. I, I really, for this game, I have a hard time giving the Seattle, Seattle defense credit for anything. Well, but KJ But I'm going to give him credit for the four for the four turnovers. KJ Wright was hustling. He was in the right spot. Hustling, we've, No, bustling. but we've learned if you get yourself around the ball, good things happen. We've seen it with Earl Thomas. How many just pop into his hand? It's not a coincidence. He there gets was the ball. one turnover of the four that really deserves a sticker. I know which one. And it was Ziggy. Yep. Ziggy almost deflected the pass and then turned around and traced the guy back and, and knocked the ball out. He showed great athleticism, and he came up with the fumble. Now, that's a tur- you want a turnover that you get credit for on this show? That's a tur- You don't get credit for in a game where you couldn't stop him deflected passes and balls going off a of receiver's hands and receivers colliding and the ball going into flowers you, you don't you don't get you don't get a lot of credit from me okay. over unforced browns errors for turn but you want Tough credit room. Ziggy <laughs> I give Ziggy a lot of credit for that that was a great that, that was, was his, great that was his best moment as a Seahawk don't you think yeah, his only sure. moment as a Seahawk um let's see here DK Metcalf I got that yep pretty good if you want to tell your uh, your young kids about weightlifting and whether it's important for football, just watch DK Metcalf. 
He is stiff arming people off like like it's his little brother. That stuff does matter, weightlifting, right? Look, he's so much stronger than the guys trying to tackle. Is him. there also a way I can t- teach them to be six four? Yeah, I guess that helps. But after, how about that catch on the sidelines? Not the one oh, that he should have. Yeah, that where he, he got it dropped. Chosen, yeah. How about the one with yeah. his feet on? The, I mean, he needed to be. I mean, if he were six three and in <laughs> seven eighths, right? He doesn't make it. He doesn't make that <laughs> right. catch. I mean, Tyler Lockett doesn't even try to make that catch. That yeah. ball just sails into the next. Ne- he makes that catch at 6'4". So yeah. DK Metcalf gets a game ball for me. One more thing about Chris Carson that I love. And again, if you want to teach your kids to have the ball in the correct arm when they're running, how many times does Chris Carson have the ball in the right arm so he can stiff arm the defenders? I remember that Christine Michael or whatever that running back's Kristen name. Michael. Oh, my God. Every He's time. My it, buddy. I love him. It'd be in the wrong hand, though. Got and a it, bad rap here. It would, drive me, it would drive me nuts. Chris yeah. Carson always has the ball in the correct hand. He's swatting people away. When he's not dropping it, he's got he's got it in the correct Man, hand. He's not dropping it very Running often. straight up and down. We don't like his running style, well, right? It's not that I don't like it. I worry about his health. That's okay. all. Yes. All right. And I'll also give a slight sticker, a half a sticker. I won't give a full sticker. Okay. Because I don't really want to give stickers to the defense. The defense sucked. All day on Sunday, this defense was terrible. Especially the pass defense. But the run defense was no good either with Chubb. Quentin Jefferson is kind of underrated. He's kind of off the radar. We talk about Clowney. We talk about Ansa. We talk about Jaron Reed, who's not there. We even talk about Puna Ford. You don't really talk about Quentin Jefferson very often. He's kind of come onto the scene. I thought he played a pretty good game on Sunday for a defense that was otherwise terrible. After the first couple games, I think I was wondering, where would we be without Quentin Jefferson? I mean, he's out there making plays, you know? He made a few plays on Sunday, so I'll give him. So those are my goods. Do you have any other goods that you want me to consider a sticker? I've run out of stickers. I don't have any stickers anymore. Game balls. Uh, that, That drive before the end of the half. Beautiful. I mean, Baker Mayfield should watch that over and over again and aspire to do that. Well, let me let me bring it to you this way. How how well how how well well you don't remember it because I don't think you were watching late in the first half the Thursday night game against the Rams. I think you told me that you didn't see that because we've talked we've talked about that. The Seahawks had a position. Remember, we talked about this. The Seahawks had a chance to go for it on fourth and one. Oh and, yeah, yeah, and, that's and pound, right. And pound them into the dirt. And instead, he took a field goal attempt. He missed the field goal attempt, and then the Rams went down and scored, yeah. right? He kind of woke up the offense for the Rams. We yeah. talked a lot about that. Yeah. On Sunday, you had almost the same situation in reverse. Cleveland's got the ball. Oh, yeah, that's right. They're up 20-12, to 12, right? They're about to go in yeah. to make it 27-12 to 12 before the end of the half. If they play their cards right... They can milk the clock and score at least three, if not seven. And he throws an interception, another deflected interception into the end zone. And what happens? They get nothing. The Seahawks come all the way down the field, score seven, and they're off and running. And all of a sudden, the game is a two-point game. and Very similar yep. to 10 days earlier, but instead the Seahawks were the beneficiaries of it instead of the victims of it. So that was good. The Browns were definitely outplaying the Seahawks in the first half. It did not feel like it should be that close of a game in the first half. So that I think that did flip the momentum. Yeah, I, I thought I thought both offenses were having their way with the defenses in the first half, but in particular the Browns offense and the defense, which brings us to the bad. Okay. One more good? Yeah. Ten AM start time. Can we stop with the whole Seahawks can't play? Oh, they can't. I mean, God, how many of my whole life I've been hearing that? Yeah, because people still think that Mike Holmgren's the coach. Yeah, they right. They didn't have a good record under Mike Holmgren at 10 a.m. I think it was Mike Holmgren who didn't have a good 10 a.m. record. But they're, a, doing, they're doing fine under people. Right, it's a 10 a.m. start. How about road start? I mean, they're almost better. On the, they, they keep winning on the road. Take it. Yeah. Just yes. take it, everybody. Yes. Well, let's, let's do away with the 10 a.m. 
complaints. Yes. All right. Should we go to the bad in a 32-28, or do you want to ignore the bad? No, I like the bad. It's, it's easier for people to digest after a win, I told You're you. You're sure? So, yeah, they can You're they sure can take you want it. me to do this? Let's do it. I got some, too. So Okay. Well, the first one's not bad. Let's call the first one unfortunate. I'm sick to my stomach over Will Disley. Oh, yeah. God yeah. almighty. A career year, and yeah. Last year, after a great start in one game, knee injury, patellar tendon surgery out for the year comes back this year hurts the knee now it looks like it's an Achilles rupture gone for the year Will Disley and I'm just nauseous yep. I feel so so bad for him the team for, for him to have this kind of bad luck just just an awful thing so I'll start right there as that that may not be a bad performance but that's an unfortunate thing from Sunday terrible he's clearly a special athlete who came back from a knee injury so I mean I guess we can cross our fingers he can come back from this too I know it doesn't well, help us this year but you know, I root for the guy. Is he just, uh, you know, is he is he able to get through a season? Right. I mean, football's not for everybody, as we've seen. There's just some guys who just tend Physically to Physically just can't get through the that's season. That's right. Yep. All right. Uh, my, my, my next bad is, it's not even the Seahawks. It's the officiating. Let's, let's, can I please? I've been bitching about it for so long. I'm going to let you do it now. The, the, the game is ungovernable. They, they just, they can't do it anymore. Go ahead. Sorry. Should they quit? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the, know what the answer is. Find was. some artificial intelligence or somebody smarter than the refs. I suppose there are good officiated games and bad oh. ones, and I, I just oh. may, maybe we just noticed the bad ones. I thought Sunday's game. There were so many errors by that officiating crew, <sighs> and it apart. wasn't just to the Seahawks' disadvantage or advantage. It was both sides. The one in particular that I know Cleveland Browns fans and and and. And the quarterback is pissed. Everybody's pissed off about was that illegal block on, oh, on Marquis play on Jarvis? Yeah, on Jarvis Landry. I mean, garbage, that, right? That was it's the that garbage. may have been one of the worst calls, but it was so bad oh. that I I got the feeling that the that the officials were actually were were actually reprimanding the Seahawks the rest of the game. The Seahawks were not going to get a call the rest of the game. There were bad spots. There were bad fumbles. There were missed fumbles. There was bad. I mean, it was just. Are you saying they're like making up for it? Is that it what, just felt like oh, the whole gotcha, rest of yeah. the game. There was a personal foul on Clowney for the quarterback. I mean, just seemed like after that bad Jarvis Landry call, and it was a horrible call that the Seahawks benefited over. Boy, oh boy, the rest of the game was just the pits. Awful. Just the pits. So I'm I'm giving a bad uh, to the officiating. I remember thinking, boy, I'm glad another team loves penalties as much as the Seahawks. I mean, Cleveland. Good God, I, I never thought I would see a team. Who gets penalized as much I as the I heard the Seahawks. announcers say that the average NFL game has 15 penalties. For both teams combined? Yeah. Ah, that's a lot, isn't it? It's awful. Way too many. Yeah. I know they're trying to protect players, and I appreciate way, that. But, way too many. Yeah. All right. The big bad is the obvious, and I don't, maybe other people have a different opinion than I do. The Seahawks defense was just terrible. I, I just thought that they were terrible on Sunday in pretty much every – now you'll say four turnovers. I just went through that. Three of them were – Browns giving them the ball essentially. One of them was unbelievable by Ansa, but come on. Nick Chubb, 6.1 yards a carry. They rushed for well over 130, 40, 50 yards, and they had no pass rush. Do you realize they went on the road and won a football game? There's a there's a official stat now called quarterback hits. Okay. Where you don't have to sack the quarterback, you just have to touch him when he's throwing. They had zero sacks. And zero quarterback hits. Not even a finger. Not even a finger. Not even an official, as the way the stats go, not even an official pinky on Baker Mayfield. Not one 
time. They draft LJ Collier. They go out and they make a big move, the one we were so excited for, for Clowney. They get Ziggy on side. Like, oh, boy, you wait. Watch this pass rush. It's going to be not fair. Terrible oh. pass rush. Terrible coverage. Guys wanting, running free. I know I say this every week. Yeah. Their pass defense is terrible. Sometimes their run defense is okay or good. In this case, it was terrible. The defense, for my money, was horrible. And if it doesn't get better, I don't care whether they're 5-1, and 6-1, and 7-1, and 8-1. and Ultimately, it will be their demise. Because after the Seahawks were finished with the Browns, I watched a real defense play. And that's the San Francisco 49ers again against the Rams on the road, on a short week, on the road on a short week, just stifle Jared Goff, the running game, and the pass game. Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup, who's running around in the secondary of the Seahawks making play after play after play, could have had 500 yards if he wanted it against the Seahawks on Thursday night here. I'm watching Cooper Cup 17 yards. 17 yards against the 49ers. And the 49ers defense is hitting Goff. When they were not sacking him, they're punishing him. They're knocking him down. The Seahawks defense, they, for, I don't even know where to begin on the Seahawks defense because they've got all, as you point out, they've got these names. They should be better. Right. I don't think they should be better in the secondary. I'm not convinced they should be better in the secondary because I'm not sure their secondary is that good. Yeah, the talent is but what it is got, in the secondary. That's right. Yeah. But they've got this talent at linebacker and in the front. The front seven should right. be much better than this. <laughs> I know. I don't get much, it. Much, 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 much better than this. <laughs> scared what are the you dog. laughing? I don't, You're the dog the can't dog. hear me. <laughs> Do I need to go through this? Clowney. I know. Ansa, Ford, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, Michael Kendrick. Do we have to go through this? The front seven on paper should be one of the classic front sevens in the National Football League. And they are getting gashed in the pass game and they are getting gashed in the run game. Yep. Should be better. I know. Gotta be better. I don't know what the answer is. And I'm I don't think it's Jaron Reed, so I don't want you to think that I think that. He's going to help. Of course, yeah. But I know he's not the answer to all the defense's problems. All right, my next, my next bad. Uh, are we done with the defense? You want me to, you want me to go? I have a quick, just a quick defensive thing that I saw today, and I thought this is very Seattle. Is Trey Flowers gonna f up that interception he got? I thought that was the right call. You remember he intercepted yeah, and it, and then he got up and they knocked it down. They knocked right because nobody him. touched him. You're not down until right. you're touched. No, but you can give yourself up. That I didn't know. You can yeah, give yourself. Okay, that's a, that's a last five or seven year rule. What did yeah. he do to tell the ref he gave himself? Well, up? go back and look at the replay. He 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 demonstrated what? that he was not. That yeah, he went. He he curled, curled the ball and <laughs> oh and then God. he got up and he was walking. wasn't really running. I, it was clearly to me. It was clearly that he gave himself up. I've never yeah. heard of that. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. This yeah. is very. He gets a pick and yeah. then oh. Uh, uh, Beckham Jr. Again, a he, ball that was thrown right to him because two of the Browns receivers collided on a rub play. Yeah. Right? That's the reason he got the interception. All right, the next bad. The next bad is the personnel decisions by the coaching staff of the Seattle Seahawks. I, I, I just feel like I, I find myself criticizing the coaching staff every week. And the truth is, if you asked me whether I think in total they're doing a good job this year, they're 5-1 and one with this team. I do believe the coaching staff is doing in total a very good job to have them 5-1. and one. Yeah. But I feel like that people who listen to this podcast might think Mitch thinks the worst of Schottenheimer and Carroll. And I really don't, but I, I just got to call it like I see it, okay? Two more incidents where they don't have the right player personnel on the field. Uh, 
They go for two, which was a debatable decision at it's the not, end of the half. It's not debatable. They should there have is, taken the one. Of course. Okay. Early in the game, take the one. What? Are we playing for a tie for the first half? Do you have to tie the game? Well, maybe he had a bed in, in Ve- <laughs> maybe he had a mattress mac bed in Vegas. What is he, he needed to? How come he, he can't okay. figure out when okay. to go for two? That's, that, another that's thing. a fit. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's a very fair oh, okay. point. I think right. most people agree with you to take the one. What? I, I, and I think I probably would take the one early in the game too. Okay. They decided not to. Then they get into a spread formation. They let Russell Wilson take a look at the defense. My guess is is that Russell Wilson had the decision of what play they were going to run. They probably had a pass play called. He looked at the defense and decided to call it a running play, the inside handoff to C.J. Process. Yep. Okay. Don't you ever – if you've got Chris Carson playing football to the level that we just talked about, he has got to be on the football field. The threat of Chris Carson has got to be on the football field. C.J. Procise – is not to be in there on a scoring play, on a two-point scoring play, where there's a chance that you're going to hand the ball off to the running back. You have got to put 32 out there and make the defense say, okay, he's there, 32's there, and key on him or do whatever they're going to do. He 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 will op- a, a good offensive player like he is will open up the field for the rest of the people. Sure. You cannot run that play and not have him on the field for the two-point conversion. No, there is no excuse. Don't even try to debate me on this. There is <laughs> no right. excuse for number 32 not being on the football field on that play. I understand he's got to come off, and you got to give him breaks, and he takes yeah. series off, and Procise has got to be in there. And this is not as much a, a shot at Procise as it is the coaching staff. I understand the way it works. You put your best football players on the field on two-point conversions. Okay, you don't take your best running back, and put him on the sidelines. There is zero excuse for that. And then later, as if they didn't learn, after a horrible spot by the officials on a on a Jerron Brown catch on the sidelines, which I tweeted out, you can go look at it, terrible spot. They've spotted it a yard and a half away from the first down, and he got the first down. Go look at my Twitter. They go third and one in a big situation, third and short, and they give the ball to C.J. Procise, and forget the fumble. He was not getting the first down. You've got a guy who, in in what if you if you know one thing about Chris Carson, what do you know? He can get the tough yard. He's powerful. Yeah. After Cont, is there anybody yeah. in the league right now better than Chris Carson after Cont? It's hard does to he get not him make, for a loss. Does he not make the most yeah. out of an opportunity? No doubt. They turn around and they give the ball to Procise on third and one. He gets hit. He's short and he fumbles, and they bring Cleveland right back into the game. Two major personnel pro and this is just football 101 this is just reasonable thinking you've got good players and in certain moments your good players have to be on the field I don't necessarily disagree with you I'm just trying to figure out what they would say sometimes it's nice to have those fresh legs come in that you know ProSize has scored what a 20 25 yard touchdown coming in you remember like a couple yeah, weeks ago? Yeah, so yeah. sometimes those fresh legs, he's faster than Carson. Sometimes it can surprise the defense. I don't have any tr- trouble with him playing and getting Just snaps. Not when it's third Certain and one. Certain situation. All I'm saying is, yeah, put Procise a good – if he's going to be the change of pace back, well, typically Penny would be in there and Procise wouldn't be anyway. I, I, I don't – again, I don't have the problem with Procise getting, getting carries in a game. I have no problem. I think on certain situations, you've got to understand the gravity of the situation that's presenting itself. And in a two-point effort at the end of the half where you're going into the locker room, you've got to – I'm not saying you have to give 32 the football. You don't have to give him the football. I don't care if you play action. and, and He's got – his the threat of the him. The threat he, of him, yeah. He's no, got to be saying. on yeah. the field. That stuff trickles Case down. Case closed, yeah. all right? Uh, my next bad. 
Did you get tired of the third and short lob rub passes, lob passes into the wind in the first half, the low percentage yeah. lob balls down the field on third and short like two times in a row? Yeah. Once in the end zone and once out at, at midfield. Did you get a little tired of that? Yeah, I had my, yeah. my fill. Okay. Yeah. I'll go on. And then the last thing is Jason Myers shank and the Michael Dixon punt. Pete Carroll said after the game on Sunday that he should have taken a safety. They were up five when they were at the one-yard line and they couldn't get the ball out from the one. And then Dixon on a short with a short punt situation, he, hit, he hits one off the side of his foot and they give the ball like the 20, 25-yard line. He said he should have taken the safety. I don't agree with that, by the way. I don't agree with that. I don't think you yeah. take a safety up five. I don't think you take a safety up. Especially, by the way, and I understand that he had the short yardage. It was an uncomfortable situation. He's supposed to be a great kicker, is he not? Yes. He's supposed to be an all-world kicker. When he came onto this team last year, everybody was talking about how this is a guy who might even revolutionize punting in the NFL. That's right. I'm sorry. I expect better. Even in that situation, kick the ball. Give me 40 yards. Give me 38 yards. Give me 45 yards. You know what? Figure it out. I got a great punter. Figure it out and get that ball off and, and give me just at least a mediocre punt. Don't don't shank one out of bounds to the 20-yard line. Yeah, not good. And I don't like taking the safety there either. No. No. You have this, not, this, no. this not, punter. A, not from five. Not no. five up. No way. I, I, would not, I would not do that. Anyway, there you go. You told me the Browns, they weren't very good on third down, but who knew they were so good on fourth down? Did you have enough of that? They converted two, four. What if one of them was like fourth and 23 or fourth and fourth Because and they're long. playing against a team yeah. that has no defense. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But who knew? Fourth and whatever that was, eh, we'll just go for of it. Of course, because they they, yeah, because they're not putting uh, pressure on our quarterback yeah. and they can't cover our receivers. Other than that, they're really good. Yeah, other than yeah. that, they're great. They're very, very good. So here's the way the Seahawks look the next three weeks and then beyond. Ravens and Earl Thomas here this weekend – Add a lowly Falcons team that may have given up by the time they get there in Atlanta, the next three, and then home against the Bucks, who got creamed in London on Sunday to the Carolina Panthers. Home against the Ravens, at the Falcons, home against the Bucks, the next three. You're going to be favored in all three of them and substantially favored in two of them, if not all three of them. I would think that if you do anything worse than two and one, it's a disaster. You should probably go three and zero. Oh, but I, at this point, at five and one, would you take two and one over those three games, and post seven and two through nine games going into the Niners, Niners game, which we'll be watching at Daniel's Broiler? Would you? Would yes, you take two would, and one? I would take two and one. I mean, you always lose one you shouldn't, and you win one you shouldn't, or if not multiple. So I would take it. Yeah, seven and two. Yeah, seven and two. But then. It becomes really, really, really difficult. That's the problem with taking two and one. Okay. At Niners, seven and three. At Eagles, seven and four. <laughs> home against Minnesota, yeah. tough. At Rams, yeah. at Panthers, who have won four in a row. At Panthers versus Cards versus Niners. Those last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games are ball busters. Yeah. So, if you want Mr. Postseason's recommendation, I'm going to heartily recommend, based on what I've seen from the Niners, what I know of the Rams, even though they've got three losses now, and what I know of the Seahawks, Mr. Postseason is going to recommend 3-0 and over the next three games. Okay, that's a good recommendation. It's a good recommendation. Yeah, I'll take that. 2-1 uh, and one doesn't obviously put you out of it at, 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 any, at any length. I mean, you're still 7-2. and two, But it... 
you do, you want to have a little room for error in those last seven games, especially with those road games at Niners, at Eagles, at Rams, at Panthers. You want to have a little room for error. You don't want to get into a position where you have to you have to win tough road games to get into the playoffs. So I'm recommending three and zero. Oh, okay, two and one. I'll accept anything less than two and one, and you're behind the eight ball. Even though the record would look good at six and three, like if you went one and two, you'd look good at six and three. Six and three sounds good. Yeah. But looking at that schedule, six and three doesn't feel so good. Yeah. I can right. only imagine if Nick Chubb's going to go off, what's Christian McCaffrey going to do against this defense, right? I mean, I can only imagine that, that game <sighs> well, with Carolina. They have good game. You know, it's not like they're, they're terrible all the time against the run. What I worry about McCaffrey would be the short underneath pass yeah. because that's where I keep coming back to. I just think that they should, they've got to figure out a way to be better in the pass defense. That's Did it look like Cleveland was trying to do that when they first started? Yes. It, didn't it, though? Heard, like I almost texted to the you. That's exactly right. Yeah. They were doing it like crazy. Dink, and were they open? Yes. And were they gaining eight, nine, ten yards? And the only time they weren't converting was when Odell Beckham Jr. would just drop the ball right in yeah. his hands, would drop the ball. Or Baker would make a throw that wasn't so great. He didn't seem very accurate. Early in the think. game, there weren't many that he threw that were not accurate. Yeah, he maybe was I'm right on the, the button game, early. He was right on the yeah. button early in the game. Yeah. yeah, they give up chunks. If you want to nickel and dime the Seahawks defense, you can. You have to be patient and disciplined to be able to do it. A lot of these quarterbacks, like Baker Mayfield, he starts that way, but then he just can't resist throwing the ball yeah. down the field. But I think a game plan where you go the whole game of just going boop, boop, boop against the Seahawks defense, you're golden. Don't tell anybody that I said that, but I think you're golden. I have a couple extra, but we can do it later if you'd like. Just a few more well, things. Well, I got a ton in. of other stuff that okay. we want to talk about in our last segment after the four interviews, but go ahead. But the goal line stance was pretty cool, right? Yeah, really good. That was great. and That was really good. Uh, that's right. I'm sorry. I didn't uh, I didn't put that in the goods. I think their coach called the same play two times in a row. And it's a goal line stand. Not, not a stance. stance. No, stand. Goal, goal line, line stand. stand. It's a stand. We're standing. I could care less. Yes. No, you... <laughs> Thank you, Grammar Police. Yes, very but, good play on fourth down. I, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, that. Very good play. So I will give a little credit to the okay. defense on that play. Yes. Special teams, I was like, yeah. Then I was like, Ugh. I mean, it was like up and down. That block punt was pretty sweet, though. You don't see yeah, those a lot. they didn't score. Well, they that, punched the ball in. I tweeted that out. I mean, is that's the rub route, the third down rub route. Did they throw the ball up into the wind? I don't get that. As rare and devastating as blocked punts are, it feels like if you don't get seven, you just get robbed, right? Because they never happen. Getting three Hurt a little bit, but... Well, they got three. That was the back-to-back -back possessions where they came up with an interception, Trey Flowers' interception, and a punt block. And they only got three total points out of those two yeah, drives. That hurts. Which I thought which I thought might come back to bite him at the end. All right. Four good interviews. Four really, really good interviews. Brady Henderson in Cleveland. Also to talk about the Ravens game this weekend. We've got Rick Neuheisel on the big Oregon-Washington game. We'll get a pick from him this weekend. And then two... Little different interviews. One is kind of sports and not one is you know, kind of not. Well, you've got the guy in Houston, the Mattress King, who is, is, is open to $15 million in losses in mattresses if Houston wins the World Series. And you've got the Iran soccer match on Thursday that allowed women to attend for the first time in nearly 40 years. A woman was allowed inside the stadium, which is hard to believe in 2000. And 19. 
Hotshot, you've heard me say time and time again, where would Mitch Unfiltered be without the great support of our teammates and our sponsors like Tyler Hay and Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest and the title sponsor of all of our big contests like the March Madness Pool and the Major Championship Challenge. His teams in Bellevue and Portland, San Francisco and Napa Valley have had incredible success growing money for their high net worth individuals. And you've said like me, what about the common guy? How do we get involved? Well, they've developed the answer. Evervestment, powered by Evergreen Golf Call, is a digital investing platform that combines the ease of a robo-advisor with decades of proven investment experience. You can use this online solution, and you don't need to be a millionaire to get access to some of the great strategies they use for their clients, all at a discounted fee. Whether you're saving for your first vacation home or your first day of retirement, Evervestment from Evergreen Golf Call can help get you there. Sign on today and just take a look at what they're doing. They can grow your money. www.evervestment.com. It'll guide you through the process to start investing for your future. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Russell Wilson keeps. Can he reach the end zone? Yes! Seahawks touchdown run from Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson hit as he throws for the end zone. Catch me! Jerron Brown, a Seahawks touchdown. On third down, Russell Wilson throws. Touchdown, Seahawks delivered to Jerron Brown. His second touchdown of the game. Touchdown Seahawks, and they lead in the fourth quarter as Chris Carson carried it in. Intercepted off the hands of Hilliard and into the hands of K.J. Wright. The offense did a beautiful job today. Russell was was exquisite again. I mean, he found his ways to make his plays. Two, two touchdowns and ran one in as well. Uh, he's just making stuff happen, and it's, it, it's got to be hard for the other side trying to figure out how you're going to stop the guy. He just keeps making plays. The receivers came through uh, across the board. I, I love the day for uh, for Jay Brown. Uh, get a couple touchdowns, really beautiful plays. I thought DK played really well. Uh, Locke came up with some crucial plays with working with Russ. That chemistry is unbelievable, and uh, it gave us a chance to get all the turnovers today. You know, finally we get we get bunches. You know, we've been talking about it all the time. We come up with four balls today, all across the board. Everybody had had a shot at it, and uh, that was that was a beautiful day on defense to get the football back. Another victorious weekend for the Seattle Seahawks, who, believe it or not, are 5-1. and one. This segment is brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Whether it's fireplaces or barbecues or garage doors, FiresideHomeSolutions.com is a great place to start. Here's Brady Henderson uh, in Cleveland after the Seahawks somehow got through it, 32-28. to 28. I saw one of your tweets, and I think we should start right there, Brady. The Seahawks won a road game, and they never, at least officially in the statistics, touched the opposing team's quarterback, right? Yeah, and you say officially because there was the one, I think it was the late hit on uh, by Ziggy Answer there. So they actually did, but in terms of plays that counted, uh, didn't get a single sack on Mayfield, let alone uh, an official hit. And so I think that, among other things, just goes to show you how important the four takeaways that they got um, you know, this was a game that the Browns, you know, had their number in, in, in a lot of ways, including, you know, getting out to a 20 to 20 to six lead uh, in the second quarter there. Um, 
So, you know, takeaways are big in any game, but it certainly – they needed them in this game with the way it started. I'm willing to give them credit, the defense, for very little on Sunday in that win. I'll give them credit for the uh, the great onset takeaway where he uh, nearly deflected the pass and then came back and stripped the ball and was able to come up with it. And it was a very good goal line stand, obviously, to be able to uh, turn the Browns away inside the the one yard line. But the other the other turnovers for me, and maybe you disagree. A lot of unforced errors by the Browns, wide receivers bumping into each other, deflected balls, balls out of the hands. This was not a good day, I don't think, on Sunday for the Seahawks defense. I thought it was a really, really shabby day, and they were lucky to win from that standpoint. Well, yeah, I don't quite agree with that because it it, it, it wasn't a case of, you know, I don't think it was a case of Mayfield just throwing the ball right to them. I mean, that play that Tedrick Thompson made uh, in the end zone late in the first half, that was a ball that Shaquille Griffin – uh, got a hand on. Right. Okay. I okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, and that was probably as big of, of a turnover as any of the four that they got because you know, you're looking at maybe a touchdown throw there. Instead, they get the interception. Uh, Wilson drives the Seahawks and hurry up mode down the field. They score that touchdown. Of course, missed the the two point try there. But that you know, you're look you're talking about a 13 point swing there. So um, yeah, I, I'd have to get another look at the uh, at the Trey Flowers interception, but I believe that was another tipped pass. No, so that was that was no. no, that was when the Browns two receivers banged into one another, and and uh, Mayfield threw the ball right into the hands of uh, of Trey Flowers on that one. Anyway, okay, yeah, okay, there you there you go. But but you know you mentioned the the answer play. That's a good play to punch that ball out and and have the yeah. the wherewithal to recover it. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly a, a terrible start, you know, allowing touchdowns on the first three possessions there. Now, obviously, the first one uh, sort of aided by a short field that, that set them up there for that first score. But, um, you know, I think that was I think that was a gutsy day. It's certainly not a perfect day by any means, but a pretty gutsy day to come back uh, by that defense after that, that pretty miserable start. Well, I don't want to harp on the negative. We can come back to the negative. We did a thing in our last segment about that front seven and why that front seven isn't playing better with some of the names that we're talking about. We can come back to that. I want to be careful not to do that because they won the football game. So let's start with some of the good things. And and number three, it's hard to believe that that day on Sunday brought down his passer rating. It actually did. But uh, 295 yards, two touchdowns. He ran the ball in for a score. He still has not thrown an interception this year. Just another afternoon on the road where the calm, cool composure of Russell Wilson helped his team do a victory, right? Yeah, I think I wrote in my postgame file that, you know, he's gotten – he's set such a high standard with the way that he started the season that, you know, games like the one he had Sunday just sort of seem like – I don't want to say ho-hum, but they sort of seem typical at this point, right? 23 of 33, 295 yards, two passing touchdowns, one rushing score. Um, you know, It was the sixth straight game to start the season that he's had a passer rating of over 100. Um, you know, He's six touchdowns off of Peyton Manning's record for most touchdowns uh, to begin a season without throwing an interception, uh, which was 20, I believe, that he had 20 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, to begin the season. That's the NFL record. And at this point, I mean, does anybody doubt that Wilson could could potentially get there with the way that he's playing? No, no. And then uh, let's graduate to the offensive line. I know that Wilson got sacked three times and was hit on a handful of others. But I think in, in the grand scheme of things, no fluker, no Brown. You're still able to get 170 on the on the ground as a team. Uh, opened up some nice holes for Carson. Carson did a great job. 
and and kept him relatively clean. I, I mean, clean enough to where he was able to operate. I think under the circumstances, and I'm a harsh grader. I'm not a good teacher. Uh, I think the offensive line gets a little credit for for the performance in Cleveland, Brady. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with that. And and there was at least one, maybe two sacks in that game Sunday that um, probably you would you would call those coverage sacks, right? It was you know yeah. long developing plays where Russell kind of hung on to the ball uh, and looked around, and and not really plays that you could fault the, the offensive line there. It's not like it was in that Thursday night game against the Rams where the the pass protection is just breaking down from the start. So. Um, yeah, you know, I think Pete Carroll said afterwards that, um, you know, as much as they love, you know, that they would love to have Dwayne Brown and DJ Fluker, um, you know, not having those guys really didn't make a huge difference in that game. And, and I would agree with that, not just because of the pass protection, uh, because of, you know, the way Chris Carson uh, found holes in the running game. So um, that is a pretty good sign. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, I think it was last uh, maybe two, two conversations ago talking about, you know, if the Seahawks make a trade, uh, what's the most likely position? I think I said the offensive line, um, and maybe that still is the case. But certainly, a game like this maybe doesn't doesn't seem like there there would be as big of an urgency when you have backups like George Fant and Jamarco Jones playing the way they did Sunday. ESPN.com Seahawks insider Brady Henderson is so kind to us here on Mitch Unfiltered. He's actually in this conversation in Cleveland. We'll we'll set you up for the Baltimore and the return of Earl Thomas here in a minute. Uh, my, what a difference a few weeks make. It was just two or three or four weeks ago, people in this town uh, wanted Carson on the sidelines and wanted to see more Penny because of the fumbles. I said in the last segment on episode 61, this episode, that outside of Christian McCaffrey, and I watch a lot of football, I would claim to watch more football on a Sunday. I see eight games a Sunday. I'm watching these running backs. I don't see anybody more than Christian McCaffrey running the ball all around catching the ball out of the backfield and playing better from the running back position than Chris Carson. I think he's really uh, turning into one of the top three or four or five, at least this year, running backs in the NFL, Brady. Well, you know, you, you would be in a better position to say that than I would just because I, you know, don't watch as many of those games, having, you know, just being at the stadium and everything. But I don't doubt that because there's really uh, not much that he can't do. And, you know, if you were to pick a hole in his game before this season, you would have said, well, you know, he had that, that great season last year with over 1,100 yards. I think it was nine, ten touchdowns. Really was not that much of a factor in the passing game. Well, that's changed this year. And, and that was, you know, that was the, the stated goal from Brian Schottenheimer, you know, saying over the summer that he wanted to get Carson uh, 50 targets or right around 50 targets, which would have been double what he got last year. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know what kind of pace he's on. I don't know where he's at numbers-wise through six games. But I imagine that he's on that pace just because uh, today I think it was four targets, caught all four of those passes for 35 yards. Um, and, and really, I mean, the, the, his receiving wasn't the story of the game. It was the way he ran. And um, you know, I think I made this point last time. If you wonder why Pete Carroll loves Chris Carson as much as he does I do. and why he stuck with him yep. you know, the way he did, it, it's the way that Carson runs. It's the physicality that he brings to that run game that, that really no other running back on their team and probably not many running backs in the NFL could replicate. And yet, with that physicality, and I'm wondering if anybody asked after the game, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, with that physicality, uh, a critical two-point conversion. He's not on the field. They end up calling a, a play that he probably checked out of, and he hands the ball to Procise. A critical third and one. He's not on the field, and Procise fumbles. Did uh, Schottenheimer or Carroll or anybody discuss that after the game on Sunday, those personnel groupings and decisions for, for Carson not to be on the field in short-yarded situations? 
Yeah, he was. Carroll was asked about that. He really did not provide much of an elaborative answer. I think he, all he said basically was that um, it was just part of the regular rotations. And, you know, you, you understand why CJ Procise was in there for that final drive uh, or, or for that, that touchdown drive, um, just because, you know, that's sort of a two minute situation where you typically want to bring in a fresh running back. Well, you know, Carson was on the sideline for that entire drive. And so he was the fresh running back by the time that, you know, you. By the time you got to that two-point drive, not to mention he's their best running back, their most physical running back. So my only guess there is that you know maybe they had a passing play called that really wouldn't have called on C.J. Procise to to get the ball there, uh, just because I cannot imagine that you know in a situation like that if you're going to call a running play that you wouldn't give the ball to Chris Carson. And even if you're not going to call a running play, my contention is you got to have your best players on the field just to make the defense respect that. Even if it's a pass play, you got to bring Procise out of the game at that point and put Chris Carson in just so the threat of Chris Carson exists, which opens up some other things in the pass game. Don't you agree with that? Yeah, that, that's a fair point. And he's also their best pass, you know, among other things, he's their, their best pass protector too. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know how much that comes into play when you're talking about probably a quick throw on a two-point drive, but um, – yeah, I agree with you. Just a, a curious decision there, and the Seahawks are lucky that it, it didn't come back to bite them. It's brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. They don't just do fireplaces, ladies and gentlemen. They do garages and barbecues, too, so check them out at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. I'm assuming this week it's a foregone conclusion, and it really aches. It really hurts. We're going to find out that Will Disley's going to have Achilles surgery. I had it, and miss another Almost full season, I guess uh, two thirds of a season. You got to feel sick for that young man, Brady. You do, yeah, absolutely. And and I, it seemed like Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson both did after that game too. And um, you know the report from uh, our guy at ESPN, Jeremy Fowler, was uh, that they fear it's a torn Achilles. And and frankly, that's that's sort of what it was looking like when you see the guy, you know, have to uh, get helped off the field and then get taken off to off the sideline on an injury cart. So. Um, it's just, you know, it's just one of those reminders that football is a brutal game and it can be a very cruel game. And, you know, just when it looked like Disley was, you know, off to this breakout start, which he was with, you know, four touchdowns in the first five games. And uh, I think I mentioned this last time, you know, he, his six touchdowns in his first eight career games were tied for the most ever by a tight end uh, since the AFL-NFL merger in 1970. Just to give you an idea of, of what kind of start he was off to, um, and it was even more remarkable because he was coming off that torn patella tendon from last season. So uh, just a, a, a brutal injury, not only to the Seahawks offense, given what he means to that passing game and that running game, uh, but just for him personally, given what he's already gone through. So now what a tight end? Is it just Wilson and Hollister? Is it somebody else that I'm not thinking of? Uh, might they go out and try to acquire somebody before the deadline? What do you think? Yeah, and, and maybe that becomes the position that, that they're most likely to trade for. And um you know, obviously, they, there's no way of knowing that Will Disley is going to get hurt when when they traded for uh, Nick Manette a few weeks ago. But um, you know, <laughs> maybe you use that pick that you got from Pittsburgh to uh, to go out and try to get a tight end, or maybe you know, I don't really know who is available on the streets. Um, you know, Tyrone Swoops is a guy that they've had in here. Um, I, you know, but when you're talking about Disley going down, you're talking about needing to replace your best tight end as opposed to just adding some depth. So. Um, yeah, maybe that becomes the position where they target at the trade deadline. And, nope. and again, they have the picks to do that. Yeah. As far as this upcoming week, uh, I'm guessing you're going to tell me that you have very, very little 
good you, you don't have a good feeling that Fluker could be ready for Baltimore maybe Brown you give Brown a better chance on that offensive line to returning to action against the Ravens you give Fluker a chance what what's your what's your first gut on that yeah it, it's very hard to say just not knowing not hearing any more information from Pete Carroll you don't uh neither of those guys I believe were able to practice last week so um it's not like they were, you know, it's not like they were game time decisions where, you know, they get some work in uh, last week and then they work out before the game. Like, you know, they, they were basically all but ruled out, it seems like. Um, so that, that'll that be interesting. You know, I, I, I can't, it's hard to call it right now, um, but it seems like, you know, another 50-50 proposition for maybe both of those guys for, for next week at Baltimore or against Baltimore, I should say. Yeah, and before you go, I know Earl Thomas will be the, the conversation point on radio stations and on TV stations. I don't know. Do you expect to talk with him? Does the Seattle media expect to get him on the phone before the game, or do you think that that's not going to happen? I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure. I would doubt it just because we have not done that. You know, we used to do that. We used to get players, you know, made available to us from the opposing team. Um, we would sort of have some say in that. And obviously if we did have that say this week, he would be the guy, but um, that has not been the case the last few years. So uh, I don't know. Certainly I'm going to ask though, because I would love to hear from real Thomas, what yeah. he thinks about coming back to the Seahawks, just given the way his career started here and, and obviously the way that it ended. Obviously he's not going to be announced to the crowd because they don't do that anymore. In my day, when I was a kid, I, you know, defense and offense, one, one unit from each team was announced person by person. Uh, there's no questioning the kind of influence he was on a Super Bowl champion team. He was a great, great player who deserves a lot of great recognition to be in the, in the, uh, the fame circle, the circle of fame, whatever they call it, uh, the, the honor roll, uh, but there was a very poisonous and angry end to it all. There was the middle finger. There was a lot of bad feelings between the two sides. H- how do you feel like the fans took to that argument? And when he runs out onto the field and the fans who watch him run out on the field, what kind of, what kind of reception do you think he's going to get on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I think my, my only frame of reference there is what happened when Richard Sherman came back to Seattle for the first time last year. And if I recall... Uh, there were some boos, I think enough for me to notice them in, in the press box. So I would not be surprised if, if, if the same is true with Earl Thomas. Now, the difference there is that, you know, Earl had that, that messy ending um, with the middle finger and everything, but there, it wasn't like it was with Sherman where Sherman sort of kept, you know, uh, poking the bear, even after he had gone to San Francisco, there's a number of comments that he made. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of trying to put myself in, in a fan's mindset, which, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan, so I, I'm not maybe the best gauge of that. But um, it seems like kind of, you know, as similar as the two situations are with the way they both ended poorly, maybe a little bit different just because Earl didn't say the same things that, that Richard did on his way out. Mm-hmm. You want to take a shot at it? Brady Henderson index. Are they going to beat the Ravens to go to six and one on the season on Sunday? Sure. The uh, the early Brady Henderson index, which again always subject to change based on uh, information coming in when when new stuff comes to light, as the dude might say. Uh, I'm going to give it a seventy percent chance on the All right. BHI. All right. And then comes, I think, the Atlanta Falcons on the road, a miserable team and a team that's not going well with Dan Quinn. And then comes Tampa Bay home. There's a there's three really winnable games before it gets really really difficult. They could find themselves, who knows, they could find themselves, what, 8-1 and one 
uh, through nine games. We'll have to kind of wait and see. Brady Henderson does a great job. Follow him on Twitter. Read all of his work during the week. And, of course, he's with us, ESPN, ESPN.com, and it's brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. We will talk to you in episode number 62, hopefully right after a Seahawks win over the Ravens. Thanks, Brady. Uh, you got it, Mitch. Thanks for having me. There he is, Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, on that incredible 32-28 victory for the Seahawks on Sunday. And a look ahead, the Baltimore Ravens and Earl Thomas next on Sunday at CenturyLink Field. You realize that while you're watching Seahawks games or while you're watching Monday Night Football or while you're watching Huskies games, you could be enjoying delicious Zeke's Pizza and craft beer at the very same time. You know that, right? In your family room on Sundays, on Mondays, on Thursdays. Just download and use their mobile app. Order online. Zeke'sPizza.com or call 206-285-8646. That's 206 206- 285-8646. It's not a third-party delivery service. They bring the order straight to your door, including beer, cider, mix and match, six different beers, whatever you like. Remember, the one who orders has to be 21 years of age or older and receive it at the door. Again, Zeke's Pizza and Sports, either in one of their great restaurants or in your home. Zeke'sPizza.com, Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. I think Penn State's pretty good on defense, so I'm going to probably lean toward Penn State this weekend, even though it's in Iowa City. Hits quickly to Kane. That's the room. Has a touchdown. Penn State goes to six and oh, they'll move up some more. I am going to go with LSU. I think Joe Burrow and company uh, have the ability to uh, to outclass uh, Florida. Burrow steps up and will take a downfield shot and has Chase and he'll score. I don't trust A&M. I think it's too much on Kellen Mond to handle protections and stuff. I don't think they're gifted enough. They're wide receiver. I think it's a one-sided uh, Alabama victory. I love Sam Ellinger. I think he is a hero. I think uh, this one's going to go down to the wire. Both he and Hurts will be spectacular. Tons of points. I'm going to lean uh, Oklahoma. Hurts throws off his back foot again. C.D. It's brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Each and every week we get an opportunity, and it's a great opportunity. It's a privilege, really, to talk with Rick Neuheisel of CBS, who I think, and I don't have it in front of me, but I think you went three for three on your picks. You made up for episode 59 and then some. I think you went three for three on your picks, Rick, last week. Yes, yes. See, I when when focused, I can deliver for you. <laughs> it, uh, it just gets, uh, as you get older, you're... Finding your way to focus isn't quite as easy as it always was. was. <laughs> All right, let's begin. Let's begin in the let's begin in the Pac-12. Uh, I talked to you before we started. You saw a chunk of Washington's win over Arizona. It did not look good in the first half offensively. They really sputtered to find open receivers to get going, and then they they found their way in the second half. Uh, on its way now to a big clash with Oregon this coming weekend. What did you see and what kind of observations do you have? Well, that second half was critical. 
not only for their uh, victory in Tucson, but also for their confidence heading into this big game against Oregon. Because having watched Oregon on Friday night against Colorado, uh, they are a terrific defensive football team. I'm not sure that they're terrific offensively. I think there's some pieces missing. They, they certainly have a formidable uh, front line, and they're going to try to run the ball. Uh, but as much has been made about Justin Herbert, I'm not sure he has all the weaponry around him to display what the NFL salivates for. I, I, I'm just not sure that he can beat the Huskies with just his arm. They're going to have to run it. But their defense is really good, and and I would credit Andy Avalos, who uh, uh, came to the Ducks from Boise State. He's their coordinator. I think he's doing a whale of a job. You talk, it, it reminds me of the old Don James, Jim Lambright defenses yeah. in terms of how they're synchronized and, and, and move in those zones uh, like a dance team. They're, they're really good, tackle well. Uh, it's going to be a big challenge for this Husky offense. Uh, but the good news is they're at home. Uh, and feeling good, having uh, had a great second half in Tucson. Uh, the bad news is they're 8 of 38, Mitch, in their last three games on third down. That's got to change if they're going to have a chance against the Ducks. You talk about the Oregon defense. In their last five games, I just mentioned this in the segment before you came on, uh, I don't care who you play in 2019. You could be playing the weak sisters of the poor. They've given up since that Auburn game 6 3 6 7 Three. They have not given up more than seven points, I do not believe, in any game since the loss to Auburn. That's that's in 2019 where we're seeing teams light up scoreboards. That's amazing. Rick, that's an amazing number. Who Who is the band that had that song, the Jenny Jenny, who can I turn to, 8675309? Yes. I felt like you were going to – I thought you were going to burst into song. 667730. Oh, my. Uh, yeah, it was uh, – it was uh, – no, this is this has been fantastic defense, and you know, Husky fans of all people have come to appreciate what has been going on at Boise State over the last couple of decades, having now enjoyed the exploits of Chris Peterson. I'm just giving a shout out where it's due. Andy Avalos's defense is playing lights out. Okay, I'll wait to ask you for a pick of that game. I think I know where you'll pick because you, I think you know who you're talking to, but. We'll wait until the we'll wait until the end. And by the way, there's only one person who breaks out into song on these segments. He hasn't done it yet this year. I kind of been biting my nails waiting for it to happen. It hasn't happened, but maybe at some point before the end of the college football season, the guy who normally breaks into song will actually uh, will actually do so. It's brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. You know, football season is fireplace season, and you can't uh, pick a better place than Fireside Home Solutions to start transforming your home immediately. Let's go over some of the things that happened this past weekend, and then we'll kind of look forward to what's going what's gonna to come in college football. The big news, obviously, in college football over the last weekend was Georgia, a three-touchdown favorite at home, against South Carolina, falls to the Gamecocks, which is a, a shocking on a lot of different levels. Does that knock Georgia out, or can they win out and still get into the Final Four, do you think? As weird as this may sound, I think it actually is more damaging for Notre Dame than for Georgia. Right, right. Now, it, yeah. it, 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 it takes away the margin for error for Georgia. They're going to have to win out, meaning take care of business in the SEC East. They've got Auburn still uh to play from the the other side, and then they're going to have to get into the SEC championship game and win it. Uh, I think that's their track, but that's doable 
given the talent they have in the team. The thing that uh, I worry about for Georgia, there are a bunch of teams that have come into the new generation offensively. Alabama certainly has. You're watching uh, LSU do it right before your eyes. Uh, You're watching Ohio State do it. Georgia has not. They're very, very content to stay in a kind of an old school offense where Jake Fromm throws 17 to 23 passes and he's very efficient, but they're 0 and 5 Mitch when he has to throw 30 or more passes. 0 and 5. And again, that was the case. They find themselves stuck or in a rut and they have to go to a throw game. They've got some really inexperienced receivers, and uh, Fromm has not been up to that challenge having to throw to win a game. I know that you guys at CBS concentrate on the SEC as uh, just about the entire world does. That LSU-Florida game the other night, Rick, I thought was a terrific football game, at least for the first three quarters. I'm not sure that I understood why the Florida coach, Dan Mullen, kept on taking Kyle Trask out of the game in favor of the more run-oriented backup quarterback. I thought Trask had a good game, and he was kind of taking him out of his rhythm. Sometimes I think coaches, you guys, you coaches on the sidelines overthink yourself. Right. And uh, But it was a really good football game, and I was surprised that Florida hung in there for three quarters. Especially given the fact that uh, they had expended a lot of energy the week before in that monumental game against Auburn uh, in the Swamp. Uh, this one set up really well for LSU. They didn't have that kind of game the week previous. They had played Utah State, uh, but it was a night game. Uh, CBS chose to put uh, A&M and Alabama on, so they got uh, the perfect draw, LSU did. A team that was going to be beat up a little bit and a team that had to play in uh, the Bayou at night. And Joe Burrow and the offense did not disappoint. Uh, they can score. I still think people can score on them. I think the reason Mullen had Emory Jones playing so much is they can't run the ball. They're really stuck. Emory Jones, in essence, comes in as an extra blocker because now you have to account for him. Trask, remember, got his knee dinged up a little bit the week before, so you're not worried about him as a run threat. So I think it just tried to complicate things for Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator for LSU. But uh, credit LSU and And certainly Joe Brady, the coach who came over from the Saints to join that staff that have given them a shot in the arm and then some in terms of their offense. They are scoring points off the charts. They lead the country in in points scored. They're second to Oklahoma in yards gained. And we're talking about LSU. I mean, that's, that's monumental stuff given uh, where they have been in the past. I actually saw in the AP poll that was released on Sunday, and I don't know that this matters at all, probably doesn't matter at all, but LSU jumped Ohio State, LSU jumped Georgia as you'd expect, and LSU jumped Clemson all the way up to number two in one, I guess that was the the, the writer's poll. We'll come back to that LSU-Alabama game in Tuscaloosa and some of the other shenanigans in the SEC that's going to help decide who the four are. We're going to come back to that in a second. But uh, with Rick Neuheisel, how about the Red River shoot? I mean, you couldn't have nailed – I don't even know if you remember what you said. You said Jalen Hurts is going to run for about 125 to 150 yards. I think you said it in those yep. words. And I think he ran for 131 and uh, it was a good football game. It wasn't the gunslinger football game that I thought. I thought that both quarterbacks would throw for more yards. But when it uh, when it ends up, Oklahoma wins by seven, survives the game, and Hurts' uh, Heisman Trophy candidacy with his running and his throwing is uh, is very strong at this at this stage. Will we see those two teams possibly again though in the Big Twelve championship game, Rick? My guess is we will. 
you know, I, I think Texas is a year away to really be a, uh, in the number, counted amongst the number of the elite teams in the country. I think Tom Herman and company will do a great job recruiting and they'll develop some more guys in the trenches on both sides of the ball. But right now, I think they're the best. They're the second best team in the uh, Big 12. I know Baylor's undefeated. I know Iowa State's kind of coming on. Uh, but I don't trust that those two teams have a quarterback like uh, Sam Ellinger. And I think uh, Ellinger, is, is if they can just get a little bit better running the ball, take a little pressure off of him, I think he'll have a, deal, uh, a, a heck of a second half of the season. I just think uh, Alex Grinch, the uh, former Washington State Cougar defensive coordinator, needs a pat on the back. Yeah, and That's a monumental job playing defense uh, for a team that was 129th against the pass a year ago. And there's only 130 teams, Mitch. 129th they were, and they end up with eight sacks and harass uh, that Texas team and look pretty good doing it. I, I'm, I'm very impressed with the job that Grinch has done. The voice of Rick Neuheisel of CBS brought to you by Fire. Fireside Home Solutions at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Rick, let's do it. Let's play the game, even though it's ridiculous because uh, no one's going to pick the four now. But I, I'm curious because I'd like to know who your four would be. If the season ended today, which it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about, uh, Rick Neuheisel would pick the four teams that would be in the playoff. I'm assuming – here's what I'm guessing you're going to say. You're going to say Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma – and you'd leave LSU, Penn State, Wisconsin out. Am I right about that? That is probably where the country will fall. But I will tell you this. If it comes down to Alabama and LSU uh, getting to the end of the regular season with one loss between them, that being whoever beats whoever in that game in Tuscaloosa on November 9th, then I would say that if any – of these other, and I'm leaving the Pac-12 out, uh, tears in our eyes, but I'm leaving the Pac-12 out. If any of these other teams have any blemish, that meaning Clemson, that meaning either Ohio State or Wisconsin, that meaning uh, Oklahoma, if any of them have a blemish, I will tell you that the loser of the Alabama-LSU game, assuming that they get through the rest, will also be part of the party. Yeah, but you're now taking a team that's not even going to play in the SEC championship game not even right. qualifying for which, the SEC championship game. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that that would which, happen. Yeah, it, it did happen. It happened just a couple of years ago when we saw Alabama get right. back in. Right. And I think, and I think it, it has a better chance. And it also happened with Ohio State getting in instead of Penn State. Uh, it, it, it happens because you're not losing on that final weekend. You're, you're sitting there, you're in the dugout, and you played well. You have this one loss that everybody assumes is the best loss of the season. And you get in because they're going to compare losses at that time. And I agree that, yeah, the conference championship count for something, but I don't know that a conference championship in the ACC right now is that big a deal, given the teams that are in that league right now. Uh, maybe we could uh, say something more, more favorable towards the, uh, uh, the Big Ten, but I would again go to the Big 12 and say I'm not sure that that merits. So uh, a Clemson loss or a Oklahoma loss along the way, I think, gives a chance to whether it be a Wisconsin and or a LSU-Alabama loser, uh, and I should say Wisconsin-Ohio State loser, 
uh, a chance to still be a part of it, given the schedule that they'll have played. And I would throw Penn State in that number, too, because Penn State certainly is going to have a chance. They got Michigan this week. They're going to have a chance, uh, having played the kind of defense they're playing. If you look at points scored right now, the top four teams are all in the Big Ten. I mean, it's it's incredible the defense that's being played in that league right now. It may be an indication that it's not high flying offense. All that being said, Tuscaloosa on November the ninth, and we have plenty of time to talk about that. We don't have to talk about that on this episode, but we can just mention it. From what I watch of LSU, and I've seen them play now a game and a half or two games, especially the game the other night against Florida, I can't imagine that in Tuscaloosa, LSU's defense is going to be able to hold up against uh, Tua and the Alabama Crimson Tide offense. I would agree. I would agree. I don't know that anybody's got the uh, the uh, antidote to uh, stopping that Alabama foursome of receivers. They are that good, and if you're going to go out and cover all them down, you're you're going to be minus a number in the box to try to corral Najee Harris. So, as this offensive line continues to get better, and uh, the RPO world continues to grow, and I thought it was kind of a sluggish game for Tua Tunga Bailoa, and there he is again with four touchdown passes right, right. for the eleventh time in just thirty starts. Right. The right. rest of Alabama's quarterbacks over the historical period of Alabama. I've got 13 four-touchdown passing games. And that includes Namitz and Stabler, and you go down the list. 13, Tunga Bailoa's got 11 already, and he's only started 30 games. Amazing this is uh, pretty mar- remarkable stuff. Amazing stuff. All right, Rick's picks. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pick the Oregon-Washington game. Oregon's a three-point favorite. I, I'm looking at the, the, the four games. You can choose any of these games that you like or pick them all. Florida's a, a touchdown favorite over South Carolina on the road. We've got uh, Arizona State and Utah, which could go a long way in, dis- in determining the South champ of the Pac-12. We've got Michigan-Penn State in, uh, in Happy Valley, I do believe that game is in uh, – is that Penn State? What do you think? Yes, I'm it is. Ass- a whiteout. I'm, I'm assuming you're just going to pick Washington because you feel like you have to pick Washington. I think Oregon's going to win the game here in Seattle. I'm assuming you're going to pick the Huskies. I'm taking the dogs. Sure I am. Uh, I, I, I know – better than most, the value of Husky Stadium. And uh, when the dogs want to be heard, the dogs will be heard. So I'm going to pick uh, Washington in Seattle. Uh, I'm going to take Penn State uh, in with the whiteout. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see enough uh, with Michigan's offense. And I thought even their defense was susceptible this last weekend against Illinois. He scored 25 unanswered points. Uh, I, I'm going to... Uh, also take uh, is as good as uh, Will Muschamp and that South Carolina team were. I'm going to take Florida in that game. I think their defense uh, will get back up and, and play well. Okay. Uh, and the last and the last game we said Arizona State and Utah. Oh, I, I was surprised Utah. to see 12 and a half U- points. That's a big number against an Arizona State yeah. team. Yeah. Utah. Utah is getting ready to flex. Really? And that one's in Salt Lake City, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. U- U- Utah is very frustrated with themselves, having squandered a chance to be sitting here undefeated, gone into uh, uh, USC on that Friday night and knocked out Cleden Slovis and then ended up playing as if there was no football in the game. They, their, their back end looked like they were playing three flies up but never caught a, pat, caught, caught a ball. Uh, I think they uh, – have atoned 38-13 over Washington State. It's 
put uh, they hung 50 something on the Beavers. I I think they're going to play really really well. They'll confuse a freshman quarterback. Uh, it won't surprise me that that will be a 21 point victory. All right, I got you down for Florida. I've got you down for Utah. I've got you down for Penn State. And the dogs, even though you think Utah is going to flex, which means the dogs have to play them next, I believe, at least in a couple of weeks. Uh, You've got the dogs. You've got the dogs defending the honor of the home field where you coached at Husky Stadium and knocking off those hated ducks of Oregon. You're not going to be in in Phil Knight's suite with a hat on, are you, this week? You're not going to be doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for remembering. I appreciate that more than you know. Just so I could set the record straight, just went over there and kissed the, the Phil and Penny ring and was asked to take a photo <laughs> and uh, took the photo. And the guy said, hey, put the hat on. So we all make mistakes, right? We all make mistakes. Oh, yeah. Mistakes. Yes, I'm bigger than others. But, yes. yes, I'm taking the dogs. I'm taking the dogs at home, I think, they'll, but they better be ready for Andy Avalos' defense or it's going to be a long day at the office. All right. Fireside Home Solutions, Rick Neuheisel, each and every week, episode Episode number 61. Thank you, Rick. Thanks very much. Take care, Mickey. There he is, Rick Neuheisel of CBS Sports on the big weekend in college football, including the Red River rivalry and that great second half for the Huskies on Saturday night against the Arizona Wildcats and now bring on the Oregon Ducks. Big news for those of you who love Daniel's Broiler and world-class steaks and seafood. The Schwartz family has built a brand new location, as you know, in the heart of downtown Seattle in the new Hyatt Regency. In fact, we're having a Monday night viewing party on November the 11th for the Seahawks and the 49ers right there. Seattle is a world-class city with an international business reputation. This is a new vision for Daniels. The new downtown Daniels is open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. That's right, breakfast, lunch, and dinner Seven days a week, you can use the new Daniels app or open table for online reservations of up to 14 or simply call the new downtown Daniels to make your reservation for a party of any size. More good news after 5 p.m., parking at the downtown Daniels location is only $8. So Daniels downtown at the new Hyatt Regency, built to take care of the needs of a world-class international city, Daniels Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Well, there's kind of an interesting story that's been percolating. I I think for a lot of years, actually. This isn't a news story. We're going to Las Vegas on Mitch Unfiltered. Todd Dewey of the Las Vegas Review Journal is good enough to be with us. And Todd, you're going to tell us the story of Mattress Mac. How do I pronounce his name? Jim... Mackinvale, something like that? Yeah, Jim Mackinvale. Yeah, Mattress Mack, a great guy, a Houston furniture store owner, owns a chain of stores, gallery furniture in Houston. You know, he's been doing these sports promotions for a while where he offers all the customers at his store. Uh, he's had a bunch of different ones. This year, it's if customers purchase a mattress set of at least $3,000, and the Astros win the World Series, they get their uh, money refunded and get their mattress set for free. It's been going on all year long, and he has like a liability of $15 million in furniture sales that he'll have to pay off if it hits, if the Astros win. And so he's been trying to hedge that, offset that risk by betting 
big bets on the Astros to win the World Series at legal sportsbooks. But, yeah, as you mentioned, it's been going on for a while. It goes back to 2014. He lost about $15 million on two uninsured promotions. He he had uh, a couple of his employees convince him that the Broncos were a solid, dead solid lock <laughs> to win the Super Bowl over the Seahawks. Uh-huh. And, of course, uh, first snap of the game goes over Peyton Manning's head for his safety, and uh, Mac thought his wife was going to divorce him <laughs> on that one. Those guys are still employed, by the way, and he reminds them of that every day. But that one cost him about $8 million. And later that same year, to celebrate his 63rd birthday, he offered a refund of any purchase of $6,300 or more if the Astros won 63 games. That's when they were still rebuilding before they started becoming so good. And uh, they ended up winning 70 games, and so he lost both of those. And then uh, the other one was two years ago when first came on my radar uh, when the Astros won the World Series over the Dodgers. He had the same type of deal. uh, uh you know, offering rebates, refunds if the Ashes won the World Series. He insured that one a lot with insurance companies, but also put down almost a couple million dollars at Vegas books on the Ashes to win it to offset his risk. But this year, he's had the promotion going on all year long. And the Astros have been the big favorite. So he hasn't been able to get as much insurance. And, um, and yeah, so... Also, when they got Zach Greinke at the trade deadline, uh, they got a big boost in sales or everyone thought they were locked to win it here. Yeah. So, yeah, he actually hired a couple of Las Vegas sharp bettors, too, to help him negotiate prices and get down at books. And he's he's bet all over the place, Vegas, Mississippi, New Jersey. And uh, so, yeah, he's, he's been going crazy here and uh, has a bunch of bets down. Todd, I don't, I don't know the business very well, but I do know that there's contest insurance and there's insurance companies, and he could have done this the more standard and traditional route, I think. Why did he choose, or is it just for the publicity? I guess he would have gotten no publicity had he just bought contest insurance. Or maybe the, these insurers won't do the amount of contest insurance that he would need. Why did he feel the need all these years to, to place all these wagers down on the Astros? Well, like I said, the first couple of ones he did, he didn't have any insurance. And then two years ago, he did have a lot of, uh, you know, the risk. That's what he did do. He got a lot of that contest insurance. I think he didn't give me all the details, but for whatever reason this year, he said he has some insurance, but he just wasn't able to get down uh, that much insurance this year. I don't know if he just waited too long or, like I said, because the Astros were the, bit, were the favorites to win the World Series all year, maybe it just was a better deal uh, you know, to bet through the sports books. And like you said, also, yeah. I mean, you can't even put a price on all the free publicity. You know, we're sitting here talking about them. We've had a bunch of stories and a bunch of other media stories. So he gets plenty of uh, publicity for this, too, uh, with all these bets. He's also a great guy, by the way. He's, he's kind of a legend in Houston, a humanitarian, where when they had the Hurricanes Harvey and Katrina, Tropical Storm Imelda, he opened up all of his furniture stores and, and let all the people that, you know, that, that were displaced by the, by the storms stay at his stores for a few nights and, you know, a really good guy. All right, so how much money – so you say that he's got a $15 million liability. If the Astros 
win the World Series. He's got customers in and around Houston that are come in for their money back on these $3,000, these expensive mattresses that'll hit him for about $15 million. Do you know the amount that he's got wagered? First of all, what's the amount that he's got wagered on the Astros to hedge? And, and second of all, is it all... Is it all on them to win the World Series? Has he had money on them up to this point, maybe to win just the American League? And this third part, I hope you'll remember the three questions. The third part is, where is all this money bet? It's not all in Vegas. Some of it's in uh, on the East Coast and online and all that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the first one, he kept trying to get these big bets down. And, and a lot of the casinos or sports books, you know, looking at the bottom line and and they're, they have their positions where, you know, if certain teams win, they're going to win money, and, and they're not that eager to take a million-dollar bets to put them off their position. But anyways, he did find um, DraftKings Sportsbook. They have one. In, they're in New Jersey and also uh, in Mississippi, and he got down a $3.5 million bet to win $7.7 million at a place called the Scarlet Pearl Casino in Biloxi, Mississippi. And then he put down another uh, a $1.5 million bet to win $3.3 million at FanDuel Sportsbook in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So the total thing he has on the Astros to win the World Series, he has more than $6 million in bets to win more than $12 million on the Astros to win the World Series. He also had you know, like a half million dollars in bets in Vegas. And, uh, and then he also put down a million-dollar bet at the Scarlet Pearl just on the American League to win the World Series uh, to win, like, 667000 So if the Yankees end up winning, he would still win on that. And then when it came down to Game 5 against the Rays and the chance that the Astros would get knocked out, he came out to Vegas and had <laughs> $1.5 million bets on the Astros in game five only. Uh, and so he ended up winning. Uh, they were favored minus 260, so put up $260 to win 100, or in his case, put up $1.5 million to win uh, about 600000 He won over 600000 in game five, so he has that in his pocket right, right. now. And uh, these two pro bettors in Vegas that are helping him bet they they were hoping actually that the Yankees might win Game One or, or you know maybe even the odds. first two games. Better yeah. odds, yeah. Because now, yeah, because now after uh, the, the Astros were like minus one seventy five favorites for the series against the Yankees, but after the Yankees won Game One, now you could put up a hundred to win one twenty five on the Astros to win the ALCS. So I wouldn't be surprised if we hear another uh, big bet today or you know before Game Two on uh, the Astros. All right, so my my quick math, uh, pending some future bets, my quick math is that if the Astros, if he stopped right now, tell me if I'm wrong, if he stopped right now, if the Astros win it all, he refunds $15 million or thereabouts in the Houston area on these mattresses, but he recoups about $12 million from his wagers on the Astros. So he's a $3 million loser. If the Astros don't win it all, he doesn't he doesn't have to refund the $15 million, but he's out the 6 or $7 million that he laid out in all these wagers for the Astros to win it all. So it's a it's a three at, the, at this point it's a $3 million loss about if the Astros win it 
and it's a six or seven million dollar loss if the Astros don't win it. Do I have that right? Yeah, that sounds about right. But if they don't win it, of course, he keeps all the fifteen million dollars in sales yeah. that this whole thing generated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like a win, even though you know, I guess I don't know how much uh, profit, but <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's uh, exactly right. When when something like this becomes so infamous and it's all over the news and everybody's aware in Vegas, all these books that are competing with one another are aware that this guy wants wants action do do books tinker with their numbers to try to attract him to their parlor or wouldn't they do that for him give him a little extra boost to try to get his business in the door and and what it could mean in publicity and what it could mean down the line if he were to choose to make his wagers in the future at, at this particular book DraftKings and FanDuel, they kind of knew on the scene. Actually, uh, someone from DraftKings said they they saw my uh, my story where these bettors were talking about getting down these huge bets, and and they decided to jump on it actually and and take the big three point five million dollar bet. And a lot of it, as you said, was for publicity. Um, I don't know if if uh, you know the casinos aren't giving him a better price on the Astros. They, they negotiated kind of the best price at the time that was out there at a couple of these places. Like for Vegas, it was 100 to win 250, and uh, when he did the big bet in uh, Mississippi, it was 100 to win 220 plus 220. So I know I know a lot of these uh, DraftKings and you know some people were saying it's kind of sad that Vegas didn't take all these huge bets but some of the guys I talked to in Vegas were just like that's a lot of money to take and you know it depends on what kind of company it is like you know MGM or Caesars out here they have 10 different sports books in Vegas and a bunch of them around the country but then there are other ones like the Westgate or South Point out in Vegas they're just a standalone place and that's the only uh, sports right. book they have right. so you know they they they're not as apt to take those huge bets so some guys told us you know with all the money for daily fantasy sports and all the clients that DraftKings and FanDuel have, they could afford to take a risk like this and just for the publicity that they have kind of an endless amount of money with all their investors and people. So so that's probably why, you know, a lot of people do think it's a publicity uh, thing for, for both the Mac and the sports books. Yeah, yeah. Todd Dewey, finishing up with Todd Dewey, the Las Vegas Review Journal. He He's not a gambler by nature, is he? I, I think I read in your story or somebody else's story that outside of this, he's not a huge gambler that he may have once once dabbled in it and he didn't do so well. Did I read that in your, in your piece? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's kind of funny. Like I say, he's kind of a salt-of-the-earth guy, but he said, no, these are just hedge bets. He goes, I used to be a gambler, but I don't gamble anymore. He said, I, you know, he's a big Texan, and he said, I couldn't pick a big dog out of a room full of chihuahuas. <laughs> well, I'm glad that he lost all of his money. I think all of us that are listening are glad that he lost all of his money on the uh, on the Seattle-Denver Super Bowl. We out here are very pleased that uh, Mattress Mac didn't do so well in 2014. Todd Dewey in the Las Vegas Review-Journal on a very interesting story, kind of a subplot to the Astros' uh, attempt to win a world championship here in 2019. The story of Mattress Mac in Houston. Todd, thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for being on Mitch Unfiltered. We appreciate your time. Thanks a lot for having me. Todd Dewey of the Las Vegas Review Journal on the unique story of the Mattress King in Houston. I suppose he's a winner either way and a loser either way 
on the Astros. Jordan Flowers and his Kirkland team, I've been telling you over and over again of Gil Mortgage, waiting for your phone call to help you save money every month. You hesitated, and on some level, you've already lost because rates have inched up, but they're still a lot lower than they were a year ago. So stop procrastinating and continuing to do nothing and pay more each month than you have to pay. The Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage will do a deal that keeps you right where you are in your in your mortgage, no starting the 30-year period over. A refinance gets you out of that mortgage insurance, which is costly. Also, you can pull some money out to do some home improvements and remodels that you've been long desiring. So there's only one thing that you shouldn't be doing, and that's just sitting there unwilling to, at the very least, take 10 minutes and make a phone call to find out what your saving options are. Three of the nation's top 1% brokers are waiting in the Kirkland office alone of Guild Mortgage. Here's the phone number, 425 425- 250-3150. The worst thing that can happen is after 10 minutes, you find out that you can't do better than you're doing now. The flip side is, and I'll bet this is what happens, you find out that you can pay less each month with a refi of your home that doesn't start you all over again. The Kirkland office, a guild mortgage. Unfiltered. there was a World Cup qualifying match in Iran that was won by the home team 14-0. Tarek Panja wrote the story for the New York Times. Here's my trivia question for you, Tarek. How many words and paragraphs did it take for you to include the final score of the match? To, to, to underscore. Uh, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very good question, Mitch. Um, and I'm afraid um, I, I don't have the answer for you offhand, but it certainly wasn't in the first five or six paragraphs. I'll tell you, tell you that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the answer. It was seven. I, I believe you, you mentioned 14 to nothing in the seventh paragraph which underscores exactly how insignificant the final score of this match was. And yet here we are around the world talking about this. Four decades it's been since the women were allowed to purchase tickets and attend a soccer match, making it perhaps one of the most important sporting events the world has seen in years. Pick up the story from there, from what you can tell. What was it like in that stadium in Tehran? Absolutely. I, 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 let me just be clear. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't there myself. Um, it, it's hard hard for for us to 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 get to iran to cover to cover that however i uh was in touch with with people who were who were there exiles as well who were outside of iran and in regular touch with people uh for those who were there it was hugely significant tears were shed by some um a chance to go with at least to the stadium drive to the game with your father your brother or your husband or whatever like things we take for granted almost everywhere else on the planet, the, the, the drive to the game, a snack before the game. And then in Iran, what would tend to happen is only the men would be allowed. And, and this has gone on for so long. Many of these women have been campaigning for, for years, some more than a decade, uh, just, to, just for the simple satisfaction, the simple pleasure of going to watch their favorite team play. Here it was the case of the national team, also known as Team Meli. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Iran travel overseas, one thing I've been struck by at World Cups and elsewhere is that there's, all, there's been a genuine, genuine um, kind of 
spread between male and female football fans for this for this team, which isn't the case everywhere else. Women in Iran, um, uh, a huge uh, swathes of women, are, are massive soccer fans. They only just couldn't go and 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 show that fervor inside arenas until um, until this week. Can you help those of us that are naive like me understand the landscape a little bit better? Take us back to 1981, if you wouldn't mind, Tarek, and and explain to us the conditions under which I understand this unwritten rule came to be almost four decades ago. Yeah, so you know your 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 listeners probably be aware of the revolution in Iran in the late 70s the Ayatollah coming to power and an Islamic theocracy essentially um, uh, ruling Iran since then. Um, Things have kind of ebbed and flowed a little, I would say, in terms of uh, female empowerment, but nowhere near um, accepted norms around the world. Women, for example, need permission um, from from male guardians, in some cases, to to get work. So when it came to, to, to sport, um, this idea that it was indecent for women to attend soccer matches took hold uh, a few years after that revolution. And since 1981, despite the passion, that they, they've been unable to mm. do that, even in their own special sections. They, were, they just weren't allowed to go. And this is, this is to do with the conservative nature of, of um the, the government of Iran, the, 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 the mullahs who, who, who essentially um, set the tone for that nation. Um, football, with the large crowds that it attracted in Iran, was, was a no-go area. Other sports were allowed, uh, um, cinemas, theatres, women and men are allowed to go together. Football was not allowed. Mm. And, and interestingly, um, much later on, basketball and volleyball, as, 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 as Iran became proficient and as the demand and the appeal of those games uh, increased women were also uh, excluded from those so almost you could say that you know they're punished for for, for the popularity of the of, of these sports mm. Tarek Panja is our guest in the New York Times who so beautifully wrote the story R- regular protests from around the world I'm assuming for the last 40 years even movies were produced were made mm-hmm. and and none of it uh, seemed to move government officials correct over the last 40 years yeah yeah it was, it was it's been it's been um uh, a slow burner and uh, not just outside even inside Iran I've heard of women who protested outside stadiums uh you know getting arrested some um the reports some getting beaten uh, for 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 trying to protest this this unwritten rule, all, all to all to go to the game. Um, the, the, over the years of being women, um, having to go to lengths of, of of dressing up as as men, um, putting on false beards, moustache. Sometimes they'd be successful. Sometimes they wouldn't. Uh, be caught and, and and kicked out. In, in the early days, um, from 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 what I understand from from people who've done this what would happen wouldn't be so severe. They would just be told, look, get out of the stadium. You're, you're not supposed to be here. Um, in, in, in later years, the punishments became um, you know, a lot more severe, at least a night in a, in a, in a, in a prison cell, sometimes worse. So what did it, uh, Tarek? I, I'm imagining you're going to tell us, and, and for those of our listeners, again, like me, who just recently didn't know about the September death of a 29-year-old woman 
who who lit herself a fire after being denied access to a soccer match, to a football match. Her nickname is Blue Girl. Can you pick up the story and tell us a little bit about that and how significant that was to allow women to finally come to the to the match on Thursday? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, this 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 uh, young young woman was called uh, Saha Khodiari, and she she was uh, um, one of these huge soccer fans. Who, who who are females like those I, I described? There's millions of them in Iran, and and she she supported a team called Estagal, who who play in blue, and, and hence she 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 was known as Blue Girl for for wearing the colours of the team. She she was um, arrested, um, and 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 was uh, for trying to enter enter the stadium. The day she found out that she would be sentenced to six months in prison, she. Um, set herself on fire. Um, tragically, a few weeks later, with 90% burns, she died. And that kind of um, at least focused the minds and galvanized um, a huge groundswell of support from inside Iran, from, from um, people like, um, who I would say very bravely, the, the current team captain, Masood Shojahai, who, who took to social media to, to lament her death and to criticize authority for what happened. I think that was quite a brave move, given what we know about I- Iran, and also increased the pressure on, on soccer's governing body, FIFA, which has been talking, uh, had been talking to Iran for the last two years under President Gianni Infantino to try and get movement on this, because as it stood, Iran uh, was the only country on the planet after Saudi Arabia had had, had um, loosened its rules to not allow women into stadiums. The, the death of Sahar or, or, or Blue Girl, it, you know, certainly it seems um, forced FIFA perhaps, although they wouldn't admit it, to, to, to push even harder given the groundswell of opinion and, and the criticism that FIFA itself was facing. Yeah, and, and I'd like you to go there because you kind of beat me to the punch, uh, Tarek. FIFA finally stepping in in a uh, in a big way. It's it's unimaginable to me that it took so long for them to to throw their weight around in this in this issue. What took so long? What was their hesitation all these years? I, I want to be cautious of my credit for FIFA just for this the, this fact. Uh, FIFA is a rules based organization. It has statutes. And one of the recent additions to these statutes are these, are these kind of human rights clauses, which demand um, equal treatment, uh, you know, based on, on, on gender, ethnicity, you know, you name it, everyone should be treated equally. That's relatively new. And if, if, if you are found not to, to be adhering to, to those statutes, you risk sanction. And, and in FIFA's case, the worst sanction that you could issue is a um, is a ban. Um, so they could have said they could have banned Iran sure. essentially yeah. from 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 playing uh, international football, and that would mean Iran. Uh, I would say, you know, in the top five, even if top three um, soccer nations on the Asian continent, regular World Cup attendees would face potential expulsion from the 2022 World Cup qualification program. And, and I, I think that was, that was a card that FIFA was perhaps in private able to use and one that in public, had it not um, forced Iran's hand, FIFA, let's not forget FIFA, this organization that uh, became a byword for corruption and mismanagement in 2015, 
would have faced potentially a, a new and embarrassing scandal for not upholding its own statutes. So, so there, is a, there is a kind of a moral obligation on FIFA to do this, but also um, one uh, that relates to optics and one relates to, to, to its own rules. Why, why, it, why, Tarek, why weren't they willing to use this card earlier? Why did it take to the 2022 World Cup for, for FIFA because, to do because, it? Because, because human rights were, 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 uh, were uh, um, a relatively recent addition to the FIFA statutes. Okay. You know, you would think these things should be normal. Yeah. But, but, but these organizations, not just FIFA, lots of sporting organizations around the world run, have been run like 1970s, 1980s country clubs that perhaps don't um, fit modern standards, that don't serve the needs of, of, of athletes or of, or of supporters, but of, of the organization and those who, who have run them um, and have done well uh, personally by running them for so long. Finally, um, in FIFA's case, things were shaken up and, and a human rights element was, was added to it. Tarek, even with all of this, the, the incredible scene on Thursday at a 14 to nothing match with the women finally being able to purchase a ticket and attend in Iran for the first time in all these years, 41 or 1981, I think, what was the year. Even with all of this, there was a cap on seats. Uh, there was a certain section or sections that they could sit. There was even, from what I understand in your story, there was even a fence built around those sections so the women could not uh, mix with the men in the other sections, which was an empty stadium for all that, yeah. for all intents yeah, and purposes. Yeah, which made for a very bizarre spectacle. You had these seats, these 4,000 seats, they were sold out as soon as they went on sale. The demand was enormous. But they, even women tried to attend the game without tickets. You know, hundreds, if not thousands, tried to show up, and they were they were told, "No way, you can't come in here." They were bussed into their special section, and they were there. They enjoyed themselves. Let's be honest. You know, they they they, they had a good time. But but look, this doesn't happen elsewhere in the world that you have to kind of seclude women um, and not let them sit next to their brothers and, and their, their husbands, etc., inside 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 football stadiums. This 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 kind of um, you know, it, it, it remains to be seen whether this actually meets the standards um, in, in FIFA statutes. Let's see. And also, this was just one game. Yeah. You know, yeah. this, this, this rule isn't let Iranian women uh, go to one football match and then, and then everything's going to be fine. You can go back to how you were. The, 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 the rules, uh, as, as FIFA have, is that this is, um, you know, discriminatory behavior and must be... Must be um, um, removed from all, 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 all soccer. Now, I Iran has not done anything, has a vibrant domestic league. For example, we talked about Blue Girl. She supported a team with millions of supporters around I Iran. Uh, a woman I met recently in, in exile in Turkey, she supports Persopolis. She's in exile because she dressed up as a man and, 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 and the yeah. authorities yeah. Were, were, were looking for her. She just These people want to go and watch soccer matches like everybody else. It's not the case of let's... Uh, um, you know, celebrate this one match and rest on 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 our, on our laurels. If you were, you know, an activist or a, or a supporter well, of FIFA, for that matter. Yeah, well, this should still violate FIFA's bylaws, shouldn't it? I mean, equal access. Absolutely. Sh shouldn't it be? It should be equal uh, access and unlimited access. Correct. Absolutely. And they, and they are on watch. Um, um, I, you know, there are organisation I must um, um, mention, like um, Human Rights Watch, for example. Who, who have been on top of this and on top of FIFA 
um, doggedly and, and uh, continue to push for this. Perhaps the media coverage in some sense might help as well. Um, but but this, 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 this spotlight must not go away. It, it needs to kind of uh, be, be permanent and present until... Until until these these ladies these fans are able to attend um, matches right. freely like 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 millions of others everywhere else in the world. So before we finish up, Tarek, and you're 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 terrific to join us on Mitch Unfiltered. You started to mention earlier, and I think you want to go back there. I want to go back there because I don't think any of us here can quite understand the answer to the question of why players on these soccer teams on these football teams didn't stand up years ago family members that were I mean they had sisters and they had family members that were females and yet you know soccer players football players didn't stand up to these unwritten rules it would have taken a lot of courage to do so explain the landscape for us you have to understand that you know Iran Iran is is governed under these these strict um, conservative laws you have you know, millions of Iranians um, who live overseas are able to be critical and speak critically inside Iran. Doing something um, as 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 um, significant as you know, criticizing the regime or or senior senior members of the theocracy that that risks um, you know certainly your liberty and potentially your life. Right now. Um, it will be a very brave person who would take a stand. You know, for example, in, in the States, we've seen, you know, Colin Kaepernick take yep. a, a yep. brave stand in, in, in the NFL, and it's cost him his job, you could argue. But it hasn't cost him his life. It hasn't cost him his liberty. I would say the, the, the stakes are much higher for, for soccer professionals in Iran, which, again, let me just make the comment that the Iranian soccer captain, current captain, Masoud Shojahai, who lives in Iran, he, he he was very critical, has been very critical in, in, in um, um, on his social media posts, and he made a point of taking his team after the the 14 nil drubbing of, of Cambodia the other day to to the section where where those women were, and and to acknowledge them and to thank them for coming, um, and that was filmed and those images were, were beamed around the world and to millions of people in Iran and and and, and that is significant in itself too. So finish up with uh, your level of optimism or lack thereof. Is this the first step to allowing full access, equal access to Iranian women? Or is this a blip on the radar, which has gotten a lot of publicity around the world, but isn't the progress that we think it is? I think uh, you can look at it glass half full, glass half empty. How do you look at um, it, Tarek? I don't know. I've been, I've been covering um, kind of soccer and soccer politics for for so long, and 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 and, and with, with 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 FIFA, it depends on 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 which way the pendulum is is swinging uh, with regards to other issues, and also with Iran, it depends. Um, We've seen with other with other issues in, in Iran how far the government are willing to go on, on certain issues, how far they're willing to concede before those gains are are, um, are rolled back. I, I, my, my view is, you know, um, cautious, very very cautious optimism because you know talking to women who were there, they had they had such a good time. Those images were beamed around the, the country there, and they have a lot of support within Iran. However, that can all be taken away very quickly. Mm. 
Tarek Panja of the New York Times, you beautifully wrote the story. Thank you so much for doing that and doing this and being a guest with us here on the podcast, Mitch Unfiltered. We very much appreciate your time and hopefully can have you on again when more progress was, is made in this area. Anytime. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Unfiltered. Four interviews in the books. Let's do a little seesaw on stuff, just sports stuff, non-sports stuff. Would you like to win the toss and, and, and elect to start, or would you like to receive? I'd like to receive. You'd like to receive. Yes. The Nationals, the Washington Nationals, Major League Baseball playoffs have been absolutely spectacular. I'm glad you brought that up because I actually watched that game where Kershaw came in and gave up. Oh I mean, I, I was like, why am I not watching more of this? It was about, so exciting. How can such a great pitcher be such a goat like Clayton Kershaw can't get anybody out in the postseason? Amazing. And the Washington Nationals in the wee hours of the morning go to Los Angeles, win game five. The Washington Nationals were at one point nineteen and thirty-one this season. They were twelve games under five hundred, and you know what they like to say here in Seattle: they are inching closer to the World Series. And when the Nationals get to the World Series, oh. something happens. Do you know what it is? Yeah, I, th- I think that list of teams who have never been to the World Series gets a little smaller, and that list includes the Mariners. Is that what you're? It only includes. Is that the Mariners. right? That's the last team. If Washington gets to the World Series. Wait, that list is two now? Yeah. I thought there was like five or six. I think it's two. Oh, my gosh. Only team left. Really good baseball playoffs. Houston and New York in one uh, league championship series, Washington and St. Louis. Two upset winners in the National League in round one are in the National League championship series. That's my first seesaw. That's my my volley we're like you. We're like picking teams at recess, and we're the last one standing, right? We're never going to get picked. I mean, what's it going to – all right, whatever. How stubborn – But at I- least you feel like right now they're close. <laughs> <laughs> That's the good news, right? I mean, they're really close. Damn. Don't you feel like they're really close? Oh, they're, they're on the doorstep. They're, they're yeah. knocking on the door. Knocking right on now. heaven's door right So now. even if Washington gets there this year, you feel good for them because you know – Seattle's got to be one of the favorites next year. Oh, God. Killing me. How stubborn are the Jags going to be with Jalen Ramsey? I kept hearing about this heart-to-heart with Jalen Ramsey and the owner. And then they don't activate him on Sunday. And then he doesn't want to play again. Like, what's it going to take for them to come to their senses? How stubborn do you have to be? Seahawks need to make that trade. I know. They need to make that trade. Now, you're going to tell me they got to give up two first-rounders. I don't know that I'm there. I'm... even though I think it would make a big difference in their in their quest for a Super Bowl this season, I don't know that I'm willing to sacrifice the future on two first-rounders, and that seems to be the price if they even get to the point where they trade them. But, boy, I feel like the Seahawks really need Jalen Ramsey. I would, really need Jalen Ramsey. I don't know what the Jags are doing. I mean, someone needs to help me you know, explain to me why they won't just get something for him. He doesn't want to play for you. Move along from him. The NFL needs to kill... The PI challenge rule after one year. This is going to be a one-year-and-done trial year for the whole you-can-challenge-PI. They never, ever overturn a play. (laughs) There was a Thursday – you were probably traveling. There was a Thursday night game between the Patriots and I think the Giants on Thursday night. Was that who they played? The Patriots played somebody on Thursday night. And there was the most, I mean, yeah, it was the Giants because it was yeah. Golden Tate. That's right, yeah, Golden yeah, Tate. In, in the, you know, just after getting popped in the eye by Percy Harvin, he, uh, he catches a ball – or he doesn't catch a ball, blatant like three times over pass interference. It's not called. The Giants challenge and go, okay, we're going to win this one. Right. I mean, it's so obvious. They don't overturn it. <laughs> the refs. It just. So m- my idea is let, let's just cancel it. 
It's not. You can even cancel it in the middle of the year. Yeah, Go ahead and cancel no it. They care. won't do that. Just cancel. If, you, if you're not going to ever take it seriously and ever really overturn one, then let's just cancel it. Peter King came on the show, Mitch Unfiltered, at the beginning before we even started the season. He said, I'm telling you, it's one and done. It's a one. And, we haven't even gotten to the season yet. One and done. Wow, he saw that early, huh? Yeah. One and done. So there you go. Lamar Jackson, now I want to talk about him for just a second because we, t- you know, we talk a lot about all the bad stuff that yeah. the players do, but I thought yeah. this was a really cool thing. It happened a week ago, so it's a little bit late, but he accidentally ran over a woman photographer who was on the sideline, who, by the way, got a great shot. She tweeted out the picture she ended up getting. Yeah. Accidentally ran her over a little bit, went over, helped her up, yeah, was but nice. then I heard that he called her after the game later on well, to make she sure. she hurt? Did they, they didn't like wheel her off, did they? No, they didn't wheel her off, yeah, but I mean, fine. he knocked her down, but yeah. I like the fact that he gave a Look crap. Look you, a little soft story from well, Hot Shot Scott. didn't we decide this podcast we're going to try to find some of those with yeah. all the Antonio Browns yeah. in the world yeah, that's so nice I thought it was nice that he reached out he didn't Very have nice. to call her he didn't have to do all that he and, could have had someone else call and her. along those lines do you remember the Jerron Brown touchdown from Russell Wilson the first touchdown pass of Russell Wilson against Cleveland yes did you see how he avoided he caught it and and avoided yeah. that was a I hurdle think the, him. I think the play to avoid the photographer was better than the catch <laughs> that was a hurdle it was great it's great <laughs> yeah he kind of went to the side he hurdled I mean yep. he did, yeah that that guy was your girl was in was in big trouble. Okay, so you want to hats off to Lamar Jackson, That's right? right? Uh, athlete of the week. I've got an athlete of the week. And this is going to be really hard to do because you really have to see the video. Okay. Which is absolutely hysterical and great and fun. And there's just so many different layers. I don't even know where to begin. So I will post it on our Mitch Unfiltered uh, Facebook page. I end up fo- posting the, uh, the videos on that. There was a high school game in California. A pretty big high school game, at least a big level of high school game in California featuring Fairfield High School of California. Okay. A Fairfield defender steps in front of a pass. Now, you got to follow me on this. Okay. On the 32-yard line of the other team. All right. So, okay. At, so, the offense is at their own 30 or at their own 25. They throw a pass to their own 32. And the Fairfield High School guy... Makes an interception. He's not my athlete of the week. Okay. He makes the interception and proceeds to start running the wrong Ugh. way. He only needs to go 32 yards for the yeah, touchdown. Yeah. He's going 68 oh, the opposite God. way. And I don't know what's funnier. I'll get to the athlete of the week in a second. Why exactly the offense, after throwing the interception, were chasing him the wrong way? He was going the wrong way, and they were chasing him. <laughs> right. Out of nowhere comes his corner or his safety, and he's chasing his own man, and he makes a shoestring tackle at, like, the three-yard line <laughs> to stop his own man from going into the end zone for a safety. He saved it. He saved he the saved touchdown. It from behind. Amazing. The guy, in, in the meantime, and he's my athlete of the week, by the way, the guy's name is, the guy who made the tackle, the guy's name is Ka-Ron Thrower. Ka-Ron Thrower. And he's not a quarterback. No, he's a, <laughs> he he's a, he's a corner or a safety. Yeah. But what's great about it, and I, and I will post it on our Facebook, you've got to see it. What's great about it is the guy's going, he has no idea he's going in the wrong direction. And so he's going 68 yards, and he's going for Pater. Pick six, yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah, right. And his mind, and all of a sudden, he gets tripped up from behind. He, of course, believes that it's the other yeah, the team. team. chasing him, right. And yeah. he throws a temper tantrum, <laughs> like, oh, I had it. I had oh, six. I can't oh. believe I got caught from behind. And then he looks, and it's his own teammate. That's and what's great about this guy who's my athlete of the week, Ka-Ron Thrower, is not only you'll watch the video, he tweeted out or did something on a sports center, did something defending his guy. It was really classy for a high school oh, kid. Nice. He was like, 
I just want everybody to know something about our, my guy who made the interception. He had missed the last two and a half games due to injury. This was his first game back. He's my boy. I mean, oh, he just sweet. made a, it's a simple mistake. He's back, and he just was a little bit rusty, and it just was really, really nice. That's so nice. my my athlete of the week in the seesaw battle here on uh, is caught. You got to see the. You'll love the video. Um, and the, I mean, there's just so much. I like my my son, my 13 year old, and I watch it like five times. Yeah. There, you've got. You've got players on the defense watching their teammate go the wrong way doing this. Like, putting their hands up like, what's he doing? Yeah. Well, you've got others trying to chase him yeah. down. It was just fantastic. It My, was fan- <laughs> And by the way, the record of the team, the team that the team that ran the wrong way and then thrower was able to tackle him, they are 0-7. They oh. lost the game 14-7. to They are 0-7 on the year. I'm sure you've seen this plenty of times. My daughter's done it. And, you know, yeah. at basketball, they, they, they change hoops. Yeah. My daughter's gone the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, you've seen of it, right? It happens all the time. The yeah. thing, the, the worst part about it is that everyone starts screaming at them, but they think it's for a positive, right? It just right. causes commotion. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. screaming wrong yeah. way, but they don't know. They think it's positive. And, oh, you God, will literally say that you've not seen a shoestring tackle as good as this. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and then you'll consider wait a second. He was tackling his own right. man. It was an unbelievable. This kid. And then he was a- sweet about it, which is oh, all. He yeah. made a great play. <laughs> I mean, Literally, he had to dive and reach and just get a just oh. a tippy of, just a, of his heel and knock the guy down. I can't it wait was, to see it. It. it was it was fabulous. Go ahead. Have you seen any of the uh, hundred greatest games the NFL Network's running? I think it's the NFL Network. Yeah, I, I stumble upon it in the hotel yeah. and I'm traveling oh, and God. no, no. This is this what is. Are you get, what are you going to do? Is this the Dolphins? Are we getting back to the Dolphins? The, game the number. Elfins. Well, no. This is good for you. Game number twenty nine. The Bears and the Dolphins. That Monday night game. I know we've talked oh, about it a little bit, but December third, nineteen eighty five. I think was oh, the date. Oh yeah. I don't I'm, know. If that's I'm, true. I'm close. I'm close within a day. It's either second, third, or fourth. Monday night, December second or December third, nineteen eighty five. And yeah. what I forgot about him, you never may have, forget it. You may have told me is greatest game in Monday night football history. The Dolphins and the Bears were like on course to meet in the NFC Championship. I I don't know if you told me or someone else okay. told me. Like that's. Yes. How great and would that have been? It was supposed to happen. <laughs> the Dolphins were like two touchdown favorites in the AFC Championship game at home, Marino, and the 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 Patriots came in with Champagne Tony Eason. Yeah, that's and, right. And Ken Grogan in the neck, and Tony Collins and <laughs> in the neck. <laughs> Tony Collins and, and and the guy from SMU, Craig James, was on that team. Oh yeah, sure. And they uh, yeah they squished the fish. They were Andre- all wearing squished the fish shirts. It was just awful. Andre Tippett on that team, maybe? yeah, I'm sure. So they I, called him Tippett, or maybe Tippett. Maybe. I took a couple pictures of uh, of the screen. I was going to text you. I was like, nah, oh, I don't on. want. I don't want to bug you. Come on. But, of what the Bears Dolphins game? Yeah, just to oh, show that, you, like, that, yeah, I like that. Yeah, you would have liked. It. So I took yeah. a picture of Marino, and then God, that was a great game. Have you? Do you, are you oh, you're not familiar with AirDrop, are you? On the uh, no. iPhone, what's AirDrop? Yeah. All right. Well, you can just you can send someone a picture. Can you scan? A tax document with AirDrop? <laughs> no. So I can just send you a picture to your iPhone right yeah. now, but it doesn't come right. through text. I can, but you could do it to strangers if if they have it on. So my new favorite thing to do when I get on like the crowded train at the airport or an airplane is just send random pictures to strangers just to confuse them. I don't them. think I understand. Okay. Well. So you take a picture. Why can't it's the same thing? You take a picture and you text it to them. No. Right, but I don't have strangers' numbers to text it to them. You can just if you have it open, you can just send random pictures to strangers that you don't know. How do you know who you're sending it to? Well, you don't. That's that's the beauty of it. You just it just goes out to like random numbers. <laughs> yes, it's so. Do you fun. ever get like? Do you ever get like responses? No, because I don't think they know who who did it. They just get a picture. They just get a picture. So 
the the one I took of Dan Marino that I was going to send to you, I t- I said well, you I, wouldn't have sent it to me. Yeah. You would be it would be random who you're sending it to. Right, right? but my point is, I airdropped a picture of Dan Marino to a to bunch me. of strangers at SeaTac just for you. Just to- well, how do you know that you sent it to him at SeaTac? <laughs> well, because I was well, I was at SeaTac and I'm on a crowded train. Right, there's a ton of people. And I, you pull up AirDrop, and then you see all these random names that are available to receive oh, pictures. Oh, so it's not only random people, but it's people that are around you at the time. Right, so you got to be I careful. I thought you were just sending it out to the country, to the world. Oh, no, they, they have to be, like, w- around you. Yeah. Oh, so, so yeah, they don't know that it's you. No, they have no idea. So I sent out <laughs> a random... a weird guy. <laughs> but What's wrong with you? For you, you, I sent Dan Marino to, like, 10 people at SeaTac. So if you're one of them and you're wondering why you got a picture... And what, of it was a picture of Marino doing what? what well, he's, he doing? No, he's, like, 50... He's, like, it was current, a current picture of him just talking. Oh, but I had I a bunch of the Bears thing. No, no, no. Uh, but it was they interviewed him about the Bears thing, so uh, that's why I had. It. Anyway, I just want you to know, a bunch of random people got a picture of Dan Marino yeah. for you. There you and, go. And and on that note, my last seesaw, unless you have something else, is uh, thank goodness that the Miami Dolphins missed the two point conversion against the Redskins on Sunday for draft purposes. And I shouldn't call them Dolphins. You know, I like to call them the Elfins. The Elfins is great, yes. But the Elfins because there's no D or O. Um. Yeah, I think for draft purposes, you got to want them to. People were asking me about them, and I just hate rooting for them to lose. I watched the game on Sunday. I uh, kept an eye on it. It was a good game. They came from behind. They scored late to make it 17-16. They could have kicked the extra point at home to gone to yeah. overtime, but they went for two, and it was an awful attempt. They threw the ball out into like a little smoke screen or bubble screen, smoke screen. They had Kendrick Drake coming in. They threw it to him. He dropped the ball that was right in his hands. He wasn't going to score either anyway, and I just felt like – I could almost feel through the TV, and I didn't have the sound on because I was watching the Browns and the Seahawks. I could almost feel like the, oh, thank God, by Dolphins <laughs> fans everywhere. Like, if he scores there, yeah. you're one in five, and the Redskins can get whatever the number one pick. If the, uh, you know, it's still early yeah. for that, for that and, kind of talk. And the Jets won too, so the, the Jets finally have a win. Jets beat the Cowboys. How about that? My my pick to go to the Super Bowl, the Cowboys. Thank you. They start three and zero. Now they're three and three. The Jets beat the right. Cowboys. And by the way, I was thinking of Survivor. How many people went? Oh, seven point favorite Cowboys. I don't care about Survivor. Yeah, I, I don't, don't even know it. what Survivor is. I don't even know you anymore. I I heard this, and you, maybe you've you've probably heard it too. But what about? The, I want to do the whole airdrop. Is that what you call yeah, it? Yeah, it's so fun. It's so great. I'm gonna actually, and you watch people's expressions. Yeah, yeah, it's that the is I <laughs> see you like it now. It's so fun to air. You have to be, but you have to be in a crowded kind of a crowd of place. What if you took a picture of somebody that was on the train? <laughs> That's even creepier. Yeah, they'll yeah. be like, "Whoa!" You got to be careful that you don't. I, what do you have to be careful about? Well, I don't want them to know it came from me. How do they? How would they know that it came from you? Is there any way to trace it? No, but if they if they look over at your phone and see that picture up, so as soon as you send it, you got to like. No, you send it and then you put your phone yeah. in your pocket like you're not even on your phone. Yeah. Because it takes a half a second for people to get it. So, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open a picture. Oh, That's it. What I was going to tell you, yes. you've probably heard this. What yeah. do you think about the two worst teams in football? They have a game at the end of the year, and the winner of that game gets the first pick as opposed to just I doing like records. It. And you could do it the week before the Super Bowl because there's like that, that dead week. The weekend. problem is what if one team's 2-14 and 14 and the other team is 4-12? and 12? Are you really going to take the 2-14 and 14 team and make them beat the 4-12 and 12 team to get the, the whole idea of the thing is to give the worst team in the yeah. league the number one pick? That would be the, for my first blush. I like it overall, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I can see that, I guess. I mean, if you're bad, if you're really, really bad, you can't win that game. And you deserve the first pick, right? If you're really, really, really bad... You're saying you got to be really, really bad, and then you got to be able to win a game at the end to get the pick. I don't know. I don't think I like it. So two teams would have to be tied for this with the same record. Then that would make sense, I guess. Winner gets the pick. Winner gets the pick. I like it. You done? 
Fortnite might be gone. Tell your son the whole map was deleted into a black he hole. He said that something happened. Yeah, he's I been complaining about it. The whole map. He was just gone. slammed the door shut in the middle of the. I don't know if people can hear that. I, I'm going to yeah. try to go back and edit that out, but he just slammed the door shut on us in the middle of our podcast. Yeah, Fortnite might I be gone. I think it's because of Fortnite. It could very well be into a black hole. That's it. Sixty-one of the Seahawks. Sixty-one on the Seahawks. What year? Ish. Super Bowl center Robbie. Tobeck. Oh, sure. I like Rob Tobeck. Yeah. Why not? Coog? Yeah. I think he's a Coog, isn't he? Uh, I think he is a Coog, yeah. yes. Yeah, he's like a big fisherman guy. Yeah, I won't do it then. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like a really nice kid. You know him a little? I mean, I believe, I've met him a few I, times. I mean, I don't know him well, except that yeah. he was on the show. I used to do a radio show. He used, to, he used to be on every once in a while. Very friendly. Very friendly guy. Seemed really likable when he was, yeah. was kind of like the... Even though he wasn't the most talented man, Walter Jones right. and Steve Hutchinson and everybody, he seemed to be the glue of that offensive line. So rather than go Josh Beckett. Yeah. I feel like I used to tune in early in the morning on Saturdays and hear him doing like a fishing show. Probably did. <laughs> oh, Probably did. Jeff Barry could have been on that too, huh? <laughs> Punch you right in the nose. Episode Robbie Tobeck is in the books.